What's up, guys? It is Modern Craftsman Monday. 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 No Tyler. No Tyler for the intro, but he does join us for this episode. We are talking with Aaron Miller from Hummingbird Hill Homes. Uh, if you guys want to check him out, Hummingbird, Hummingbird Hill Homes on Instagram. Awesome website. Uh, he's even got his own trademark. But we go down almost a two-hour rabbit hole of pre-construction. A huge, <laughs> a huge topic that gets brought up on Instagram, Clubhouse, this podcast, every, every platform, how to navigate pre-construction. So if you guys are interested in hearing more about that, you're going to want to stick around. Uh, but we also talk about health and wellness, wellness yeah. and doing yoga in between coffee break, tea breaks on job sites. <laughs> it's a good one, guys. You'll enjoy it, I hope. This podcast is brought to you by Duration Molding and Millwork. You might have heard that James Hardy is dropping its artisan line of beveled siding. If you're a user of that line, the folks at Duration invite you to try their beveled siding on your next build. Longer lengths, no required edge sealing, no clearance restrictions, easy and safe to work with, and the authentic look of wood siding. There's lots to love. And if you need special reveal or profile, that's not a problem either. To learn more about Duration Poly Ash products, Please visit their website at durationmillwork.com and be sure to check them out on Instagram. Ever since John told me about you guys, I've been on your website and you have uh, an extremely impressive portfolio. Uh, and I want to talk, obviously we want to talk about what you guys are doing today. You look like you're very professional with all of your paperwork behind you and these large posters and presentations and etc but let's uh let's get an introduction to who you are and let's you know take it back to you know what where you started yeah yeah so um actually i had a, a, a probably a different route to um uh construction than most uh i worked in construction i love when people say that by the way i know i know exactly i'm probably repeating you know, no no it's it's good because i feel like a lot of people it, it perks people up like, all right, give it to me. What'd yeah. you do? Would well, you sell a guy a pizza and all of a sudden he wanted you to build him a house? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I worked construction through high school and, and university. But when I got out of university, I landed actually in a, in a sort of corporate, uh, uh, corporate job and uh, worked through that corporate job in sales, um, marketing, was transferred down to uh, to Minnesota. Worked in the head office there for three years. That's where my my third daughter was born. So I have a a, uh, a little American on uh, the Canadian side here. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then came back and managed the company um, and uh, here in here in Canada. So um, have a have sort of more of a corporate uh, business background. And um, my during that time, you know, fixing up, renovating homes, I built uh, two homes. This is in the span of about 15 years. So I built a couple of homes. My best friend is, is an architect here in uh, Toronto. So, um, so, you know, sort of was, was um, gaining some experience through, through, that, through that process. And then it was 2009. Uh, I just couldn't take the whole corporate uh, corporate America sort of 
BS and, and the, the craziness that goes along with that and travel and, and uh, not seeing your kids. Um, so decided at that point to, uh, to start Hummingbird Hill and um, was basically me, me in a pickup truck in the beginning doing the, uh, the uh, multitude of ro roles, being sort of site super, project manager, accountant, sales guy, marketing guy, um, and grew it from there. And over a few years, I met um, my um, favorite carpentry firm was a firm called Craft Carpentry. And they were doing some work on some of the projects that uh, that that I had underway, and I knew I don't know, I don't know what you guys think, but I was sort of surveying all the builders that I was competing against, and everyone was basically saying the same thing, right? Everyone's basically saying my quality is better than everybody else. So I was looking, and I was sort of looking and, and thinking about how do I differentiate, um, or how do I create that differential advantage? Um, building science you know, was really starting to take hold. A lot of the, the research was, was, uh, was starting to present itself. And I knew, you know, I was interested in building sustainably. Um, so the timing worked that I actually uh, basically merged with my favorite uh, carpentry firm. So I have uh, two partners and, um, and we focused on, you know, um, number one sort of building high performance uh, or sustainable homes. We became PASCO certified. Um, and then that was sort of step one. And then over the years, we, uh, we started to realize that the whole, um, in my opinion, sustainability is kind of percolating into this emerging field of health and wellness and the built environment and all of the research that's coming out of that. So we became well AP certified um and here we are basically fast forward what what why was the number one thing that you guys focused on why was it passive house certification yeah we we sort of looked at there's a couple of local programs here um in in the toronto area um there's net zero there's net zero ready i find passive house is probably the the best um representation of the building science um in my opinion it's not totally applicable and to be honest with you we actually don't build a ton of certified passive houses mm -hmm. but we take some of the building science and experience that we've we've sort of gained over the years and apply it to all of our builds like air leakage rates um you know continuous exterior insulation etc cetera, etc cetera. so I, we just we just identified passive house as kind of we knew we wanted to set ourselves apart. Um, we felt being certified um, in a building science uh, um, recognized um, sort of identification was important. So, so yeah, you know, we, we sort of gravitated to pass those. And that was day one. Uh, shortly after we came together as a firm. So, so Hummingbird and and basically Kraft. We, obviously, we kept Hummingbird uh, as the brand, mm -hmm. um, and and a lot of it was you know once you once you commit to building high performance and and you know and what that means, um, framing really becomes a critical part of that. And um, one of the partners is probably one of the best framers here in the in the city. So that was uh, I just got tired of every every time you'd hire. A framing crew, 
um, you, you know, you, you kind of go through the details for, as an right. example, air tightness, and you'd hire the same framing crew for the next job and you get four different guys and yeah. sort of starting all over again. So, so I thought, yeah, let's vertically kind of own the carpentry piece um, for us and, and take it from framing to, to finish carpentry. So we started with three carpenters in the beginning and we're now at about 25. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and we just sort of own that as a vertical integration. When you started humming, how, how long from when you started Hummingbird till when you merged? It was about five, six years. And were you doing this similar style work? Did you like, I guess where I'm trying to go back to is, did you go from corporate America to high-end residential homes immediately? No, no, you, you know, sort of the typical, you start off uh, again with, with, my, uh, with my buddy who's, who's the architect. He helped, you know, obviously a lot, but yeah. started with some, you know, some rentals, um, some, some lower end uh, new builds, and then kind of graduated from there, so to speak. What was, you know, in, with that being said, what was your, you set out to do, get into new homes, obviously, and you kind of took what, you, what was necessary. So back then, what was your, you know, I guess we can call it a marketing strategy from going from renovation to getting into new homes? Um, we, we still do, uh, we still do renovations. Um, we do about 40, 35, 40% renovations, 60% new builds. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's just a natural progression when you're looking to kind of continuously improve, Mm -hmm. um, and you're developing the relationships with, uh, you know, with, with the architects, um, uh, interior designers, you know, I just, I think it's just a natural progression. Um, you start to move towards the, 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 the more impactful architecture that happens to also typically be new builds. Right. And if 35 to 40% of your work is renovations, um, <clears throat> it's probably a, a bit of a rabbit hole to go down, but how, sorry, I think my mic just unplugged. Um, how are you kind of integrating what you're doing into existing infrastructure and existing homes and kind of bringing that model into that those builds um yeah i mean renovations are a different animal right i'm sure yeah i'm sure you guys you guys so I, I feel like most people end up like once they get to new builds um a lot of times let the renovations go yeah. because it's just like a completely different beast yeah yeah i i think if i didn't have the carpentry uh, arm to our business, I probably, you know, would consider letting the renovations go. I mean, new, new builds are a defined process, right? Like you, you can control that a whole lot better than renovations. Um, but, but because we have, you know, 25 carpenters, um, you know, we can, we can take on, and actually the major market for us here is, is Toronto. And, um, and the majority of those projects are renovations. They're, hundred plus year old homes, probably similar to, um, to, to what you guys see in Boston there. Um, so it's a, it's a valuable lucrative market. Is that, I mean, so this, I feel like this come, this question comes up a lot, uh, when talking to other builders as whether or not they should have their own carpenters on staff or even, I, I know John, you mentioned, I think in last podcast, like having painters on staff, like actually, 
um, I guess we, for lack of better terms, like, you know, uh, owning, owning those guys rather than subbing it out and, and dealing with obviously the issues with high performance, you know, framing and things of that nature, Yeah. you know, but you also just touched on the fact that if you didn't have the renovation side that you would likely, you, you would consider not having as many or even, or you would consider not having the carpenters as part of, uh, hummingbird. Is that right? No, I, I would definitely keep the carpenters. That, that's been a game changer for us. Um, being able to kind of control carpentry, in my opinion, that's the magic sauce, right? Like that's where, that's where you take a, a, a nice home and, and you, you create the wow. Um, right. And, and the ability to, to, to frame a house, we're doing a lot of modern these days. Modern for us is just taken, taken off. We're probably doing mm-hmm. 75% modern now, but to build modern, especially, I mean, you cannot have a framing crew with a typical mindset of get in, get out, you know, and, and because you're playing catch up, um, you know, the whole way through the build. And I think the, the, having the carpentry allows us to, to sort of really um, focus on, on our processes from beginning to end, from framing to back framing, to all the, the things that fall between scope that keep a project going to finish carpentry. Um, yeah, I would definitely still uh, still have that. I probably just wouldn't have as many uh, potentially if we didn't have renovations. Mm. And renovation, you don't want to step away from because the the mar- it's such a lucrative market. It's a big market here for sure. Uh, we're we're doing a couple of you know a hundred plus year old homes uh, in Toronto. Cool cool story. We just demoed one, um, and the framer uh, signed the last uh, block piece of wood. Uh, his name was. James Pierce, 1908, he signed it and nailed it in. So, um, but, but yeah, no, I think that, that market for us, um, we having the capabilities that we do with the, with the, with the carpentry teamed up with the, with the build uh, resources is um, yeah, is a good market for us. I wouldn't give up renovations. Are your are your carpenters? Do you have an overlap of carpenters between framing and finish, or is it is it pretty isolated between the two? We've like got frame- yeah. So we've got guys that we have one framing crew. That's all they do is frame. We're actually starting. Uh, we've just opened up a facility. We're we're panelizing all our builds now. Um, so we're not we're not stick framing on site anymore um, for the last year or so. Um, but we have a framing crew that's dedicated to that process, both the panelization as well as the installation of the panels and the back framing. Then we have a group of carpenters, I'd say probably 10 that could cross over, right? They, they could, they do have some framing experience, but they also have some finishing experience. And then I have probably four guys that are just phenomenal finish carpenters. Um, and that's all they do. Yeah. I, I would say it's, important to have at least to some extent that overlap especially if you're looking to do modern builds yeah um i think whoever's leading that charge needs to have a pretty comprehensive view of the finish line um to be able to lead them i think without that it's like it could be a good frame but if you're not accounting for all of those tiny finished details it's like you still have so much work to kind of adjust things and manipulate things and change things after which 
I mean, you still have at the end of the day, but I would, I would assume having that overlap helps you guys out. Oh, for, for sure. And, and we purposely actually have organizational meetings where we bring all of the carpenters in and, and you know, those discussions happen, right? Like the finished carpenters, if, if they feel like the framers, you know, uh, didn't, um, you know, did, didn't meet the standard, uh, they let them know. So there's a, they, you know, when you know that you're going to be held accountable at the end of the day, uh, along the spectrum of carpentry, uh, yeah, it, you're, you're absolutely right too. Modern just requires that next level of, of attention to detail in my, in my opinion. I, I agree with that. And I think that, I think so it, so owning both of that is advantageous and i can see especially like I, I would say that more people who are building houses would own um like the punchless carpentry uh coming back after the frame is done fine-tuning tweaking things and then finish carpentry but not as many would own the framing and the finish should be subbing the framing out um and i think that like in order to be able to execute those details you need to have that that end goal in mind and i think that that handoff there oftentimes it's like the subcontractor where everyone they overlap a tiny bit but it's also there's like a defined distinction between trades and then somebody else has to pick up and a lot of times those issues get missed or hey this isn't my problem where you now have framers in house who know they're going to hear about it at the end of the day if they kind of leave your finished carpenters with the headache to clean up yeah and i think um so you have somebody who's at there at the beginning and then owning the same people who are there at the end and like everyone has to be held accountable yeah yeah so absolutely. Nick's, that... Nick's, Nick's getting a framing crew yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean it's the it's it, this comes up all the time about having carpentry in house and you know, and going back and forth between, you know, even internally here, it's like, we've talked about that in the past is do we, should we keep the, should we keep our carpenters on staff or should we separate them? You know, well, your should, carpenters are, are not necessarily framing, like no, they're, they're not, not doing a, a new frame. No. And that's, you know, and right now it, it's that it's a more of a hybrid where we bring in supplemental carpentry crews, such as framers, and then we're handling the in between, in between scope subcontractor yeah. support and then getting into the finish um but that's you know that's always been of interest and that's all that's kind of why we've always built the company with with carpentry in mind is that we want you know to be able to control the details and that's you know that's something that we've dealt with before is not not getting the same people or not getting on the you know the the, the crew doesn't have the same mindset as to how we approach something and that's why i was you know interested you know you don't see you, you typically you don't see a lot of builders with you know a dedicated framing crew yeah and there's a there's a sort of a scale to it right like you, you can't uh you, you need about in my opinion about eight uh to ten projects new builds typically um a year and and you can kind of keep that framing crew going from one site to the next um so what but, is that like i mean are you are you do you feel as though like early on when you guys originally merged and you started scaling that, I mean, eight to 10 new, new projects a year. It's a lot. Yeah. Which we didn't have in the beginning. Right. It, it was the, the three, the three carpenters, the one head framer, 
um, were everything carpentry. They weren't just framing at that particular time. Mm -hmm. We kind of built the, built the scale up to kind of supporting a dedicated framing crew. Um, but, um, yeah. And and now, now with the panelization, it's what we're realizing is I'll give you an example. We just, we just framed a 5,000 square foot above ground house, uh, which would have taken us probably two, two and a half months ish, uh, give or take. And, uh, by, by sort of panelizing it, and going through that process, we were to the roof. The roof is still done traditionally, but to the roof, we were done in like two weeks. Um, so all of a sudden, it's it's got us thinking about kind of okay, this is really efficient, um, you know, and, and all the other sort of pros of of panelization that that I'm sure you guys well well are aware. So, but now all of a sudden, you're flying through projects, right? And um, so there's another discussion around sort of the efficiencies of, of some of these things, you know, the innovations of things like panelization. You guys, I would assume that that, that helps you guys with uh, the weather up there as yeah. well. It, yeah. Yeah, it, it totally does. Our, you, you're in uh, Boston, right? I'm in New Jersey. Those two guys are in Boston. You're in New Jersey. Yeah. So the weather is pretty similar to where we are with, with where you're at. We don't get it. We don't get a, like a crazy amount of snow. You go two hours north of here, and the area called Muskoka, they get slammed with snow. Yeah. Um, but but for us, for sure, you know, whether it's the winter or whether it's uh, you know the dead of summer and it's and it's smoking hot, you know, your efficiency is is uh, is way better. Yeah, I mean, if it even if you can get foundations in the ground and you're framing stuff inside of a shop just i mean think how much more productive you would be framing inside of a heated conditioned building rather than being outside in like the teens i don't know what that is in celsius yeah i yeah i don't even know it's probably negative so they can brag about it (laughs) (laughs) that's the one thing i've said in this whole podcast (laughs) no canada hates me i i see you're drinking a beer though i'm quite jealous Mm-hmm. That's the only two times of the week I get the drink. Uh, Tuesday night and like Friday night. Someone should have sent me the memo. I would have had one ready here. Oh man, it's good. I you want to run to your stuff. fridge? <laughs> yeah. It looks. You know, it, it's, all I'm doing every time you take a sip is I'm looking at you. I'm like, oh my god, that <laughs> looks good. It's the best time of the week. It's like yeah. a perfectly frosted glass, perfect amount. Oh, of- it definitely <laughs> foamed over in the kitchen. <laughs> Uh, I was like, uh, you're distracting me, man. I'm sorry. It's it's you've been distracting me for months with your IG posts. So we're <laughs> even. Um, I think I want to take it back to you wanted to leave corporate America, which I never went there, but I'm sure I, I feel a similar way. And you did marketing there. And what what made you jump? What's behind Hummingbird? Because that's very unique. Like for construction, it's. It's everyone's name and yeah. ink behind it. Like what you did was very something special. I just don't. How'd you get there? Yeah, the 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 honest truth with the name is, um, I had to. We we have a a family cottage that we sold when I started the business just to kind of pull some money out to be able to to fund the uh, the initial stages and the name of the cottage and and it wasn't us that gave it, but it was Hummingbird Hill, 
And my wife to this day reminds me of, you know, how much she misses this cottage. So uh, when, when I started the company, that was sort of, uh, you know, it, it fit. I mean, you can, you can talk about when, when I did a, a branding exercise uh, before starting the company, I thought it fit because of the, you know, the symbolism of a, of a hummingbird, you know, it's beautiful. You know it when, it, when, it's, when it's around you, they work like hell. So there's a lot of kind of good symbolisms with the name and you're right, branding. I don't think in construction, we, we pay enough attention to marketing and branding and how we present ourselves to, to um, potential clients. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm a, you know, I do have a bit of a marketing background um, and, and that's a, you know, that's a, that's a big effort from our standpoint is just how do we brand how do we present ourselves? It's, it's me looking at, like I was saying, right. When, when I first said, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm looking at all the builders. And if, you know, if you look at their names or their, or their taglines or what they say, it is literally the same thing. They're all saying the same thing pretty much. Right. And, and they're, they're basically judging their, their sense of, superior quality on aesthetics and the fact that they feel they can execute the aesthetics better than anybody. So, so from a marketing standpoint, yeah, I'm looking at, you know, what is my, what, what differential advantage can I create as a company and then market that and, and put that as part of my brand. Um, so when you sold the cottage, what were you freeing up money for? Just the, uh, like exactly that, like, like a whole branding, you know, investment in, in website, um, the branding exercise. I had a few projects under my, under my belt already. Um, the, you know, the, the marketing, uh, collaterals, the, the brochures, um, you know, I did, uh, uh, lunch and learns with architects was one of the, the early things I did I actually brought right as the the zip panels were coming out. I brought our local rep here, Rob uh, Rosan. You know, we did a, we did a tour of lunch and learns with architects, and just although it's minor, but just paying for all the lunches and and you know investing in just communicating the the, the brand. Uh, there's a lot of soft costs, right, that people don't appreciate when you're starting a business. That uh, that 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 was that's what some of the funds were used for. Did you create a model like a, a company structure to kind of I remember when I started before we started vintage, I like I went bonkers and I, I had this one notebook that has everything in it from the you know company structure of like day one, what would it be? you know three months from then, six months, a year, and then I put figures to all that to see what let's say a perfect startup, what would it cost me? And I think we came up with two hundred thousand dollars. I'm like, yeah. I'll have to go ask and that was like, let's pay for trucks, yeah. let's do all that so that way we wanted to not. I think the decisions you make if you're thinking about money are different than what you would make if you were thinking about the passion behind it. So yeah. we want to start vintage and not, I, I appreciate the bootstrap part of it. We ended up doing it that way anyways, but it was more of, I wanted to go into it clean yeah. and not think about, Hey, how am I going to pay for this? That's yeah. why when you said you, you know, freed up some money to do that, it made me appreciate that, that it's like, all right, I want to have the right look and then yeah. not have to think about where, what do I have to sacrifice to get the next check? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of us, I mean, when I first started my first company, it was bootstrap, but I was taking anything. Yeah. And that was a detriment to my success yeah. long term. 
and I never, ever got the time to focus on branding back then. Yeah. And I think that's what we did this time around. And I love, I mean, I, I can't remember what caught my eye first. If it was the designs that you executed or just the branding. I think even, I don't like the other side of the coin there is that I think that's, that's good when you have the experience to kind of sustain the business that's going to come from that and having everything, you know, you're hitting the ground running. Um, I feel so many people who start out like if you were to have the funding, like you're just getting into business for yourself and the, the funding to brand yourself properly, market yourself properly, get all the trucks lettered, this, that, and the other thing. And then it's like, it's so overwhelming for you um, to get up and running. And then the volume of work that you can generate by doing that, I think so many people actually would benefit from if they don't have the experience starting off slowly and generating that network of people organically and then paying for the stuff as you can so that as the, you know, the jobs grow slowly and you're not being handed these massive jobs or a huge volume of work that you actually can't handle and uh, trying to tread water at that point. So I think having that experience is very important um, by doing that because I think that it, it could easily overwhelm you if you if you put all of that stuff in place and we're so well marketed and then you're like I I can't handle this volume of work or I can't handle everything that I built at this point yeah no for sure and, and I think the you know the the I know what you guys see in your markets but the the bar for contractors here is is pretty low right and and it's not if if you can write up, you know, a professional looking estimate, you can present yourself well, you know, um, and you've got the, the skill set to, to execute. It's not hard to get, you know, to get started. I think to take it to the level, the next level to really be able to execute those, those higher end impactful architectural designs. Um, that's where I think, you know, the, how you present yourself, uh, from a marketing standpoint really starts to matter for sure. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think that beginning stage, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, um, you, you, you got to kind of grow in a, in a sustainable way and, and do it in a smart way for sure. Yeah. I, I was just having a conversation with a buddy of mine today and they're a landscaping company and they cater towards more higher end landscape um, using a lot of natural materials and really focusing on design and they got some new trucks and his he was like my boss wants to put like full wraps on the trucks and like they're they're already an established business and everything else and he's like photos of the our work on them and he's like I I need to figure out a way that I can tell him to like use our 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 branding our existing branding to create and kind of sustain this clean look and then you know be professional have a good a well-designed truck and that will kind of translate into like a not overly uh like flamboyant landscape design like we want our branding to match what we're doing and we're not trying to create this flashy look and i feel like our vehicles should match that um, and I, I think that if you, if you can properly market yourself, brand yourself well, and I, it, 
it does wonders for like that first impression yeah. or getting your foot in the door yeah. or you know like you see you see a truck that looks good and it's well designed it's laid out and it's a clean look and you remember that obviously you have to be able to uphold your end of the bargain by um, executing work and fulfilling what you have to on the business end but like that is such a jump start for a lot of customers to have like the look in the marketing down yeah. where i mean i i say all the time if you branded yourself well you could get your foot in the door with so many customers and and like it almost doesn't matter what your work's like sometimes and i see a lot of guys who are very successful because they're well branded and they know how to market themselves and they say the right things but like the biz their work is it doesn't match that but they continue to get work yeah. and, but the other part of it is most clients won't know what their expectation is that yeah. person's now setting it so when they walk in the door and they see the picture that person will just assume, the client will just assume this is how it's supposed to run. Yeah. For sure. And it's really tough because the correction part of it doesn't happen unless it gets so bad that, yeah. that it's out of the way. But you're right. I mean, I love your your job site security signs. Like I'm having mine printed right now, my windscreens. Because every time I walk, and I love that you incorporate the designers and you incorporate everyone that's involved, the architects, that it's... It's such a simple, I think the whole point of what I was trying to say was, it is so simple to do. It's yeah. 175 bucks for a windscreen, yeah. but to send them your logo, have it ready to go. So we're doing one that's like a double gate. We're gonna try and do it for every job. And it's it's a, it's a separate logo. Cause I like if you're small, like just the bird that you yeah. have on like the corner of every one of your windscreens. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have that. Do I do, it, do I do the V? Like, what do I do? So I hit up, you know, Nick's, you know, the website guys and branding guys. And I'm like, yo, I know we, I discarded that, you know, they wanted me to have like, Nick has the NS part. I was like, I don't, I don't need the VB thing. And now I'm like, I could use a VB thing. Like just vintage build is like abbreviated. And so we're doing that. We're doing VB on both sides and it says more home, less house. Cause that's what we want to be doing is building a home and it's on the gates. And I got the proof back on Friday. And I'm like, I can't wait to put that on every job gate that we have. And then if we have more space, have the designers, have the architects. But God, we're three years in. And I feel like it's it's like Ben always says, IG posts. I don't have time. There's always an email to send. There's always an invoice to write. There's always a response to give to a client. And that is always the case. Yeah. And it's like vacations. There's always going to be work. But if yeah. you don't take vacation, you're never going to you know, be yeah. able to reset and if you never pull away enough to be able to do that branding, the next job, the, the next good qualified job that ups your, you know, you know, go a couple rungs up the ladder, otherwise you stay at the same rung, it's crucial. And I just love what you put up there. It's it's a great, it's a great thing. The branding oh, is dynamite. You. Oh, I, I appreciate the uh, the feedback. I mean, I'm always on our site supers reminding them that that how our sites present is huge right like it's it's uh it's not only the potential clients that are potentially walking by but you Neighbors. know we, we have real estate agents you know that have clients that are looking for building lots will drive by and and they have a five second you know first impression as they drive by your site so how you present you know both with with the windscreens uh, how tidy the site is. There's not garbage everywhere. Um, you know, t yeah, I, I, I appreciate the feedback because it, it, it's a big deal for me, for sure. 
I'm glad yeah, somebody those, noticed. <laughs> I mean, I love the fact that it's like people can do it on IG. Like we all do. We, you know, we write down what we, what we want to say, but that casual driver, what, what you're creating there is that brand awareness. Yeah. Is, and that's what people used to do in magazines. They would, you know, I, I've watched, I've read magazines my entire career and it's like the same person is on the inside cover. Yeah. That you're creating brand awareness that that person opens that magazine and feels comfortable with you because you're in a magazine. That's because that's how it was. How do you recreate that now that magazines are dying? And I think it's that. Like, as we're having this conversation, I'm like, why am I only doing it on these two jobs? When I could do it on the renovation on Lowell Street, I could put it on both driveways, and that's a great neighborhood. Or the other one that we're doing that we're hammering, it's foolish that my stuff's not up right now. Like, my little sign that's, it's like a business card when it should be a billboard. Yeah. Right. And it's, I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. I'm so annoyed already in this podcast <laughs> that I haven't, I haven't stepped it up. Yeah. Well, also customers, designers, people driving by, they like when the house is finished, they can say, yeah, they did a nice job. Maybe they don't understand the, you know, everything that goes into that house and the full capacity of, of what was done. Same thing with the interior. You know, they could say it's a nice kitchen, it's a nice bathroom. Things are executed cleanly. It's not sloppy work. But for so much of that project, they have no idea what's going on. So a clean, well-organized work site or, you know, signage out front, maintaining a sharp-looking site, not messing up the streets and, you know, tracking mud all over it that's all those people see for how many months and that's all they really can base your work on they don't understand if your your frame is tight if your insulation package is done well if the plumber did a good job roughing things in but they can walk in and tell if it's dirty or if it's sloppy or if right. the people respect what they're doing and the, like the finishes are the very end but that entire process they're judging you on like how tidy things look yeah. and they don't understand what's going into it. And it's so important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think, I don't know what you guys think, but I think having a clean site as a new trade comes on to site sets the tone. hundred yeah. percent. It sets the tone and, and they recognize that, okay, I've got to up my game here. This is uh, you know, the, these guys uh, mean business. Right. So, so I, I'm, yeah, we're big on that. And, and, um, John, back to your point, I think adding the architect and the interior designer sometimes to the, to the windscreen costs us nothing, right? It's, yeah, it, yeah. but the, but the, um, you, you know, the, the goodwill, the appreciation that I get from, from architects that, you know, we're, we are in essence investing in their promotion in, in certain ways. So oh, you're investing in their design. Yeah. Already. You're yeah. already have you, you've invested everything you have into squeezing out the very best in that. Why would like I always I'm doing the very little compared to what you're doing. Like I'm I'm adding them to the IG post. <laughs> it's like and now it's like you've you promoted it and I love it. And to Tyler's point, it's like they're checking the cleanliness. But imagine if you had the windscreens up at that crazy, you know, color, whatever it is. I'm regretting I wrote down why should I pick black? Like we pick black with like a gray inset and I'm like, yours are always flashy in color. I'm like, it's almost like Tyler getting the click through. They might drive by my sign for the last three months and go, that's cool. But nothing is like when I saw his post the first time, I don't know what drew me there, but I saw that windscreen. I was like, that's, I think you, I think it was one of your stories and you drove by oh, yeah. and I was like, oh, that's tight. Uh -huh. And it made me stick around longer and then 
dig deep into it so much. I think I DM'd you after like a, a week of me looking through it. I was like, yo, I don't even know you, but we're getting together on the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, cause it is the amount, what you're putting into it and, and how you're portraying it. Um, it can't be faked. And when there's so many people out there faking it, I, I, I wanted to tell your story or help tell it. And, oh, and spread yeah. it. I appreciate it. You actually asked me where I had the maid and I was like, <laughs> is it, I'm in Canada. Like, are you going to order them from here and ship them over to... I have a funny feeling that... Because I had I had some made for us, and I think they came from Canada. Really? Yeah. Uh, John, you already order them? I'll say, if not, I'll I, send I got them. mine from like 175, and I got them from like Minnesota, I think. Oh, I forget. Yeah. I, I, like I windscreens.com or something. And yeah, it's... Dude, it. they do the proof. It's easy. Yeah, it's how cheating. did you ever find that website? <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. That's even more of a punch in the face. When you're like, how hard is this? And you're like, nice I'm hit, bright. Tyler. Yeah. But it's like, why why am I not doing this? And the fact is I I still I didn't and, and like you said, they're inexpensive. Like they're yeah. very inexpensive. It's yeah. not rocket science. Yeah. I think I reached out to my my sign people first and they were like, Well, we don't do those all the time. And I'm like, I took that for all right, it doesn't happen. Right. And I'm like, why would I ever say settle for that? Right. I mean, you do it. Why can't I? Yeah. And you put privacy screen up, you know, for security reasons anyways. Right. So you may as well use that real estate to brand yourself and, and, and promote kind of, and the other thing is that doing the architect and the interior design also just sort of speaks to the, the integrated team, right. The collaborative team on the project. It's not right. just, it's not just me, the builder. It's a, there's a, there's a collaboration involved here. Which 100%. Is important. It's an important message in my, my opinion. So once you got Hummingbird, okay. So then you, you decided to take on, why did you think you needed a partnership? It was really that next step to recognizing that, okay, um, I need to differentiate myself. And the first step was, was really towards high performance, whether you want to call it sustainable building practices, high performance, uh, whatever. But, um, it was, it was recognizing that uh, having, the, it was not an easy decision, of course, right? You're, you're giving up part of your company um, to, to bring in these individuals, but based on the individuals, based on the vision that I had of how we could sort of differentiate ourselves in the market, I felt like these were the right individuals and having that fully integrated uh, carpentry capability was, was important for me to take that next step. And, and it's, and it's actually, People thought I was crazy at the time, but um, it's it's proven to be a good decision. So, like the months leading up to that, what was telling you that you couldn't you couldn't execute that passive house design without this? You get me? Like, there's that moment where you're like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing it my way, the way because there's pride involved." And yeah. then there's a moment where you're like, "This is stupid." Yeah. Let me at least ask so and so if they want to come on board and see what the terms are. Yeah. Like, what was that like? So, so the, you know, I was appreciating, I was trying to, to read as much as I could. And with regards to, to all of the building science research, the one partner that, that I have Ian McFadden, he's one of those like wicked smart guys that, that, you know, when building science guys get together and they like talk a different language and you're kind of looking at them like, what the Just hell? Zone is out. It's, <laughs> like, it's like when Elon Musk talks. Yeah. Uh, like he's one of those, one of those guys, really, really smart guy. So, um, not that I, not that I'm not smart, but, but I think that, that, you know, allowed me to sort of 
focus. And what's been nice about the partnership is we've all got our roles, right? Like I am all front end. I'm dealing with the architects, the homeowners, you know, the, the sales, the contracts, all the branding, the marketing. Um, and then once a job becomes a job, we go into our, our execution phase and that's where, that's where Ian uh, manages that whole process. So it was, I think, you know, uh, contractors, I find we, um, we don't know how to scale very well. We don't know how to scale our business very well. And there's still this like romanticized idea. I still fight this with clients where they think I'm going to put on my tool belt and build the house physically myself. Right. And, and recognizing that we as a business are exactly like any other business. And if we're going to scale it, you know, we need to um, attract and retain great talent, great people. And, and this was, this was sort of the right step for me based on sort of the, the direction, but uh, it was not an easy decision. Yes. Yeah, so the execution phase, I, I guess I, I want to jump right into that. What was that? What's the turnover like between you going front end to turning it over to somebody else that then has to execute? It, yeah, it, it's, it's hard because and still is hard because I have the relationship with the client. Right. Yeah, and they have it with you and they think that you're going to be there exactly. throughout. Exactly. Um, you know, they have made a decision to build a Hummingbird Hill home in, a, in large part because of me and because of our relationship and, and what we're going to deliver as a company. So I think it's really just setting the expectations and communicating really well at the front end to to say this isn't this isn't, a, you know, a, a, a one man show. This is a collaborative team effort. You're going to go and just show them this is going to be the phase right and you're going to actually go into an execution phase you know we'll introduce the site super for their job we'll introduce the, the project manager for their job um we've got all the we're on bim 360 we were on co-construct but now we're on bim 360 so we introduce that whole portal to them as well so it's a you know it's, it's trying to transition them through and getting them focused on the process of building their home and not the person that's going to build their, their home, if that makes any mm, sense. It does. And then do you have a pre-con agreement? I do. That, that's locking you into that. Cause I, I've struggled with this. We've been on clubhouse here and there and it's been a hot topic and yeah. I, I'm giving that away right now. And I feel like the only time I'm doing it now is when I, I feel there's a hint that someone else is involved and I just go, well, we do a pre-con agreement because a, I don't do it, and B, I don't know if I want that job, so I throw that out there. I'm like, yeah, it's 25K. If you're interested, I can forward off the information to you and let me know. So it's almost my breakup. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's not on me, it's on them. So what's, what's yours structured like? Yeah, we do, we do a, a, an MOU, um, not a formal agreement. And, and so it's basically, because we are trying to, to you know, um, we're trying to promote a more integrated project delivery versus kind of your siloed approach that that I think is flawed personally between kind of architecture, engineering or architecture, design, engineering and then construction. So I'm actually out there saying, get me in earlier. Right. Like, let's let's get there now that we do the modeling for the panels. We want to be involved earlier, which which you're right. I mean, it, it is more work. Um, but we find at during the execution phase, um, we're much more efficient, right? Like I want to shovel goes in the ground. I want to be focused on execution. I don't want to still be dicking around with 
you know, we're still changing the design or we're not sure what to do here or there. Um, so we do an MOU pre-construction sort of agreement, get the deposit um, and, um, and, and then float that through into the construction phase. And is that deposit non-refundable or is that get, you know, given back during, I've heard it a bunch of different ways. I know. I've Her only, I only throw it out there as a scare tactic. Yeah, you know, you're right. For the right, uh, for for the client that you potentially don't want to have, you 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 make it uh, non-refundable. Uh, but no, typically, typically we apply the uh, the deposit against the project management fees if the project becomes a project. If it doesn't become a project, then it's non-refundable and we keep it just to just to compensate for the time and efforts that that's been put in. So you said it, it, you call it M O U, M L M. MLU, M M O U, memo oh, M -O. memo of understanding, just like a legal letter, but it's not binding. I think we call it a L O I letter of intent. Yeah, so probably similar. Yeah. Yeah. We, this is the Canadian version. <laughs> yeah, we're catching up. <laughs> so when you want to get in early, how do how do people want to trust you, in order to give up, let's say, or sign on with you when? Most architects are gonna pitch the whole "we're gonna bid this out" process. Yeah, yeah. How do you how do you counteract that? It, it's um, it's really about actually um, informing the architects and and making the architects recognize. I, I personally think the the way it's traditionally done is flawed, and it's it's the reason behind a lot of the issues that we deal with. Right? When you've got an architect that designs in a vacuum. Uh, not to say that we want to design, but when they're designing in a vacuum and then you've got engineering um, and then that, depending on the, on the, on the degree of uh, professionalism with the architecture firm, a lot of the firms we're dealing with, they don't even overlay mechanical onto structural and architecture drawings. Right. So, so we're figuring out. I thought that was our job. Yeah. So, so <laughs> yeah, when we, yeah, I know. <laughs> It's like, yeah, that's the be that was the best reaction to that. <laughs> the, uh, so when I back to those lunch and learns, I do lunch and learns virtually now with architects talking about the advantage of getting us. I don't want to have anything to do with the design, but we're now building uh, models for the for the panels. We build all of our 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 builds uh, digitally on Revit first, so. Um, being involved at the design stage, we can have that voice around constructability. We can start to have, you know, some costing uh, parameters because there's nothing worse. I'm sure you guys have all had it where they've spent months designing engineering, you know, interior design, get to us for the costing exercise to realize they're like $700,000 more than they expected to spend. And, and everyone's looking at each other like, okay, now what? The architects want us to be the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, not often. Yeah. Not the architects I work with. Yeah. Some of them are great, right? And and we're finding the architects that we're working with want to have us at the table. To your point, John, about trust, that's the key, right? Is how do you develop trust? Um, and it's really, a, for me, it's about showing them A, you know, our process and how transparent it is, but B, our process and how much control we put back in their hands through this process. Right. Um, 
And then of course, you know, you're, you're back to your reputation and your branding and all that uh, comes into play for sure. We, we're, we're finding it's a much better process when we can be involved. Um, build the models now is a game changer for us because uh, we can run clash detections. You know, we can figure out all the things that one could argue an architectural firm should be doing, but but the, a lot of them aren't, right? True. So I guess this is where I get hung up and walk, I'm going to walk you through it and you guys yeah. can dissect it is that I want it to be an intimate process. So for me to gain a potential client's trust, let's say, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but let's say they, they know you, maybe it's a referral. Let's just start there. So they know of you, they know your brand. They're not just cold calling you. And, and then I want to meet with them, you know, do that initial consultation. It's free, but I want to show value. You know, I, I don't want it to be like, hey, here's my contract, like have it folded up in my back pocket so they can try and sign it by the end of it. <laughs> and it's, but it's more like I also <clears throat> want to finish that meeting with setting the next one up. So it's like, how do I do this? And then I find myself, I can juggle a few of those and have no problem. But I, I don't ever want those people to make a commitment with money. I want them to make a commitment with trust and, and wanting to be involved with this process in me. And I find that the only time I put the pre-construction agreement out there is when I don't feel like it's reciprocating back and forth. Like I'm putting it out there. Like I could be other places. If you see social media, you know that we're doing X, Y, Z. So I feel like I need to be the one implementing that trust factor and making it intimate without that contract. And I know it's flawed. I just, I'm trying to figure out from everyone else here, like, what what makes sense? What part do I incorporate it? Like, is it after? I know Nick is probably way more rigid than than I am, and and I get it. I just I don't know if I should take that as a compliment or as an insult. I'm pretty no, flexible. I, 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 well, okay, okay, hold on. But the the flip side of that is is I'm giving away well, my I time, think, but my I, knowledge, but you to did, someone that may not commit. Good, fair. But you, I, I feel like you just you almost answer your own question in the sense that you say that you need to provide value but you don't want to have a contract in your back pocket to sign that day. I'd, you know, th th that's not how we approach it. I mean, we don't say, Hey, yeah, you're interested in building a two, $2 million house. Sure. No problem. Sign this $25,000 agreement and we'll go from there. It's no, let's meet. Let's talk. Let's get to know. It. I want to see the site. If, if they have a site or, you know, let's meet and talk about the, the process. What are your, what are you looking to do? Is there an architect? You get to know them and you do your whole, I'm going to call it a spiel, right? Like you set, you're selling yourself and you're getting to, to know each other and figure out if it's a good fit. And, you know, John, you know, you're able to look at a project and give them some sort of ballpark. Like, yeah, we want to build a, an 8,000 square foot house. Here's, this is what we're thinking. These are the finishes. All right. Yeah. I mean, based on what I've done, you know, that's a three and a half million dollar project, you know, is so, that, so when, when does that, when does that happen? Give me that process. Like you've met once. And that could uh, happen meeting one. I mean, that for us, I try to, I try, I try to so talk they, about money immediately. Do they have design though? Not necessarily. So uh, I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out is, so I do all that. I do all that. Right. I, I so at that point, there. at that point, you, you know, we've done it both ways where they have an architect and then you, if, if they have an architect, it tends to be like maybe a smidge more difficult to get that pre-construction uh, agreement because 
they feel as though they're already committed to an architect and they're going through the motion. So we kind of have to work with the architect to sell on, you know, within their process. Yeah. Well, just get them on board with like, Hey, we want to be an asset to you, the architect. So as you're designing, we're price checking things. So we're both walking down the same street, not on different streets. So if you reached out to that architect or you having them, the client, potential client connect you guys, uh, it's up in here. Yeah, I mean, typically, typically the architects involved in one of those initial con. Like, I've never been in a position where they're working with an architect and then the homeowner calls the builder without involving the architect. Yeah, this is this is why I I focus my efforts actually on um, discussing the integrated sort of integrated process with an architect more than I do anybody, right? And getting them to understand the concept of you know design, bid, build. Is, is like got so many issues with it that, that end up, you know, everyone pointing their fingers at each other uh, and not a great experience for the client. When I have an architect that agrees that having a construction perspective involved, not, not at the schematic design stage, but at, at some point, you know, where you need some, some parameters around costing, around constructability, around options, um, having an idea about budgets, um, you integrate at, as part of the team. And, and I think the, I don't know about you guys, but I would say 80% of the clients that, that we build for have actually come through and been qualified by the architect. Yeah. I'm not coming to me first. Right. So, mm-hmm. so getting the architects to understand the benefits for them to integrating construction and engineering as part of this, this process and, and integrating a team um, for us has been, has been um has been great has been really good so when do you incorporate in your agreement how early on like break it down for me in my process where did i go wrong yeah we do i want to know yeah so we do that mou as a pre-construction um sort of agreement we have an industry standard here in in uh ontario um called a ccdc where it applies to all construction projects the, the that project that that contract has to reference you know your architectural drawings your mechanical drawings your structural your interior so I have to have those available to be able to reference them directly into that contract that happens kind of at the uh, before it goes in for permits um, is when we put the formal contract in place in front of them okay so it's so you you are having a couple meetings. For sure. Before, before you get any money involved, you're putting some. Time oh yeah, in. for sure. I think it's in our industry. I don't know how you how you don't right. Like Agreed. I, That's where I get hung up. Is that yeah. I, I get it. Like right now, let's just take it back. I have a product that was referred to me by two people, and I and I I like it a lot. I dig it. The architect has some schematics. I kind of went through it, and with lumber and you know, obviously the windows are what catch me off. Is like, hey. This is going to be above standard. So what I've come up with in my head, which we haven't done, usually I would just send them, hey, here's a rough budget. I probably took maybe a couple hours to go through it and just comb it. So I took an old project, changed the letterhead or whatever, and then just kind of made sure that all the numbers fit with today, what I'm paying for today. And then on this one in particular, I sent it to the lumber company because of the schematics and said, hey, give me pricing on Elevates because windows and lumber are going crazy. I wanted to see if those numbers fit with my with my schedule with my schedule values. So then 
the epiphany I had over the weekend is, which I've been doing in my spreadsheet, but I haven't been giving it away, is I'm going to take, I'm going to put a column and say, instead of like, I know Risinger told us he does good, better, best. I'm going to take the column of what I'm projecting for this project, which is a projection, you know? And then the left column, I'm going to put the average of the last three homes, that value. So that way, when they see it, you know, like this is, there's two products right now that I really want. And I, uh, I don't think I have the project enough to be able to say, hey, we should get involved in an agreement. So I want Nick's dying to say something. Um, but it, it's... No, I mean, it, I, I'm in a similar position because uh, you, you're, you're thinking that there's probably a few other people. Well, I mean, one, they're saying, hey, the architect wants to send out the bid. And I, I've already drafted a whole email saying, I think that's a poor process, but I don't yeah, know how to back that up yet. So I want to go... That's, that's tough because you're putting yourself uh, not on the architect's side. I'm on an island. Um, right. So, you know, we all talk about how, how we don't bid work, but, but at the same time, I'm sure that all four of us have been in a position and presented, been presented with a project that said, screw it, I'll bid this because it's worth it. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I just, we had one come in today. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But you know, if the client wants to bid it, that's a job I'd, I'd spend three weeks bidding because I want that. Right. But yeah. is as far like as far as knowing when to introduce it you know it just you're you can bring value you can spend four hours and get put your preliminary estimate together and say this is just how i see like you're way early this is how i see the project unfolding that's what we just did with a, a smaller project we, we went through spent four hours with it this is how i see the project unfolding i know it's over your budget here's areas that we could possibly value engineer and this is where i think we could get down down to and but i've already communicated prior to giving them that like in the first meeting i've walked them through like hey you know we'll totally down to you know we're, we're getting to meet each other today next steps is going to be you know talking about um you know, we'll get some sort of preliminary uh, estimate put together, just how we see this unfolding. But from there, you know, what I suggest is that we get involved, you know, we, we take a retainer and we get involved and we're, we're the, the, the pricing asset to the business, the, the, this project. We, we are going to be an asset to you as the client and the asset to the, the architect as a client, because what that will allow us to do is as I, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but as price as design is unfolding, we're pricing, and the client always feels as though that the design is you. You, you get the reins, like the. Ultimately, John, you said it earlier. It's like we end up being the bad guy because we price something higher than, than they expected. We, it we to bring be. reality, which right where price. it's like if you're going through the whole design process and you and Johnny's holding the reins, that you know ultimately you have the control of as to whether or not that design go, takes a hard left at the end and then throws the budget out of the window and then you come in in the wrong. So, so, so A, I don't want to be involved in that process. Out of process? all the things in this entire thing, I don't want to be the money guy that early on pricing stuff because I don't want to burn out. I don't want to put my, my subs through the fatigue of having to, to price that. So, but, go ahead. But you're, you're, you're not necessarily getting your subs involved yet. So I look at it like the way I explain it is if I get an SD set, so we're like 30% designed, you know, we're going to spend 30% effort towards that. So we're going to go through, do our takeoffs. All right, well, you got, you know, 500 square feet of tile that needs to be waterproofed. You know, it's cost me $25 a square foot for material waterproofing install. All right, 
I'll throw that. I'm at this point. You're doing at least for us. We're doing our takeoffs and we're putting numbers in there, so it, it's computing something out. When we get further along with design, like to a seventy-five percent set, that's when we get a little bit more effort, and then we're pricing. You know, we're pricing with vendors and we're pricing with 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 trades because at seventy-five percent, if the budget is on track and the client you're meeting along these points like they're delivering a 30% set you're delivering a 30% budget so the client the client is at this point everyone's on the same page so when you get to 75% the getting your sub involved you're you're not risking wasting their time because the job is getting more and more committed and more and more of a reality for you yeah but the other part of that is I, I point blank in that first meeting say you know, having a, a sub bid something right now, it's not a real project. That's fine. No, no but matter how, how, because if, but no, my point is, is if you add fluff to every one of those line items, that product may not be feasible. And the reality of that product, so I, I, I hate that, enti- nothing against it, Nick, not yeah, you at all. I fine. hate that entire thing because it's, you're almost coaxing somebody along to get involved so that way they have something committed the same way they have the architect where now you're committed just on time alone and that they're going to go with you. I've said to clients before, I'm not going to bid this out. Like to any of them, I said, I'm not going to bid it out because the the odds of it being a real number from any of my subs, because I know how busy I am and I know how busy they are, that they're just going to throw crap at it. And if I throw enough crap at the wall, then the number 15, 10, 50, whatever, 20% float that product's not doable. So for us to get an what's accurate the difference number, between what's the difference between pricing it and not getting a real number from your sub, then not bidding it and going into the build, you're going to end up spending that money anyway. No, no, I'm going to use past products that I have that are going to show that, me. But that, exact, put, but that puts your tra- that puts your subs into they have to back into a number. No, no, I'm not committing to that number either. I'm going to find out if the feasibility study works that early. So what I was trying to get at before was I'm going to put together a, that this budget is what I'm sending out tomorrow to both the people. One's a Patrick Ahern house and the other one, which they went against Patrick and my architect. And I, and I, I trying to figure out if I do the ballpark number, Nick and Aaron, everybody is that if I put the ballpark number together, what validates that number? Experience. You know, to, to anyone, to, to someone that's reading that for the first time, the architect or whatever, so if I take the last three builds and take an average of those and I add that column to the bid and go, hey, you know our product, you know what you've seen, the last three addresses that are in town, this is what the average of those cost and this is where I think yours is gonna come in. If, it, if we're not within 10% or 15% of your budget, then we need to cut right now. Either Agreed. you need to that, cut designer scope. That's, that's, your, that's your initial estimate though. That's all I'm doing and they're committing. What about, what that's about, great, but they don't. All, but that's not always the that that isn't going to always be the case. They may say I, that's. I also feel like that's when they know who you are and your work. What's it like at that point? They're kind of ensuring that you line up budget wise, but they kind of also already want you to do the job. No, no it, they may not want it at all. If it doesn't line up, I would rather know that from past numbers than to go down the road of getting all these bids that are are fictitious in reality to what's going to happen long term. I'm telling them straight out it's fictitious. I'm not going to lead them along and go, hey, I've sent this out for pricing. I've done square footages. I've done all this because no one really puts that legwork in. They're just billing for it because you're just you're getting money from them to see if they're going to commit to you. Yeah. Well, you know what we're actually planning on doing is 
changing this model a little bit and and changing the mindset because I I would I would guess if you ask a lot of architects they view construction firms as a necessary evil right it's mm. like they just need to price the job and and do what I have on the drawings but if if you flip that that mindset with architects so that they view you as a valued partner in this process we've we've got a couple of people in the office that I was saying build out those those BIM models. We've actually got an architect that's very interested in doing this with us where, of course, the client goes out, they do their due diligence on builders, they meet with, you know, guys like like you and I, John, and, and you know, hopefully come to the conclusion they're going to build with us. Now I plant a BIM modeler with the architect so that as the design sort of develops, we're actually building the model and what you can do with that technology is as that model gets built, you're actually getting real time cost uh, and costing. That's all exactly what you're saying, John, you know, it's, it's based on our, our previous uh, costs for each of the different line items, but the technology is there that you can build this, get costing, which actually means you turn a very reactive process, which is what exists today and you make it proactive so that, you can design it sort of to a budget if that's what the client wants. If they're a $2 million construction budget and you've got to make some decisions on, you know, a slate roof versus a standing seam roof versus an asphalt roof, all of a sudden you can not only build the model and have the real-time cost estimating, but you actually can build the model and show them visually the difference between those three roof systems so that they can make a decision either based on design or on budget or and both. You could show them what budget both. would cost or for aesthetic, you're, it's really not about the numbers. It's it's really about what they want to do and you're giving that's, them all the tools. That's when the rubber hits the road, right? Like yep. what's more important here, the design aesthetic or the budget, right? Because yep. you're showing them both, what will work and then what your dreams will give you. 100%. But what, you, what I think personally is we're flipping the value proposition of what we deliver as as construction firms and as builders for the architects and we're, we're integrating ourselves in that process so that by the time you're done that whole process you're not in that predicament where an architect's tendered it to three different builders and you've got about 60 percent of the information and you know it's just going to be a shit show right yeah through the whole build that's what we're trying to do and trying to move towards we've got the revit stuff down um the technology is amazing um, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, they, they have to, and it, that's the same thing. They have to hire you or know that they want you to build that project yeah. prior to any of that. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I'm doing that for free. I mean, I also, me. I also I'll, think that there's, there's no, like at that point, there's almost no way to tell what your the cost of you versus somebody else because you're using software and you have all of these details even if there was a full like plan set at that point to send out it's it's two different ways of pricing things there's different things accounted for and everything else like it comes down to who do you want to build your project it and the, it's so hard to say well look, his his number is this for this house and they looked at it this way and contractor b's number is this for this house where they're just, it, it doesn't matter the scale of the project. They're two different things. And I think the goal for you, for me, for John, for Nick would be to have those customers come to you and hire you 
to execute the work the way that you do and understand that the cost of that job is going to be the cost of the job. Yeah. And I guess I want to take the opportunity to educate them because that window of uncertainty is small, but it's major. Yeah. If that makes any sense is that when you do like, I'm, I'm being honest with you a week and a half ago, I met with a couple and they're super cool. And I saw the designs. It's funny. Like it's little hints. We were like, hey, send the schematics over. And they're like, we'll just go over them when we're on the site. So it's like, all right. So maybe they don't have them yet or they don't want to release them. So even though I've been referred by two other people, a designer and a client, they know our product. They get it. There's still some hesitation. You get me? Like you have to read between the lines. It's like my PM the other day. I go, hey, can you put that to get that, you know, that, that change order together for humidity? And he looks at me the wrong way. And I'm like, did you give it to him? Or did they know it's going to be a change? Like you had to read between the lines. Like he paused, but it's the same thing. I was like, they didn't have the design, and I'm like, all right. So we get there, we walk it. They were all excited. Like I pulled up, and I was like six minutes early, and she shot out the front door, and I was like, all right. So uh, you get, I'm I'm crazy, I know, but it's all these little moments that I'm either putting a check on one side of the line or I'm checking off the other side of the line because I think I can't, it's. But I also think it's important to note, like there's going to be that type of client that's okay with getting a rough idea and then going from there. And, you know, the other side of it, you know, because yes, we've been in that position too, where we've gotten that preliminary estimate and we're good to go. Or, you know, it's, Hey, from here, you know, you're, we're good. Um, that pre-construction agreement is also, you know, it, it's for pricing, it's for scheduling, it's for feasibility, constructability. It's being it's being part of the meetings with the Those architect. Those are all trigger words. What does that mean? It means that there. It's. I'm writing mine right now, and and I read through what someone else gave me, and it's all fluff. I can send you what we have, but it's but know, what but it what is. What you is, just said, scheduling. What are you scheduling? You putting a schedule together? You're putting a schedule. Yeah. So you're printing you're, off one that you had that's going to take you ten minutes. No, no, no. Between I mean, us, we're in the nest. We're 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 in friendly nest. I know we're in the we're no. We're every every job's different. I mean, it's it's close. I mean, how long sure. is it going to take you to put an estimate, the schedule together? I get it, but it's it, the point is is that as the 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 tri- the trigger here is that as the design unfolds further and becomes more detailed, our schedule and our budget becomes more detailed, and the reason that we do that you know, for that particular client is because they want to understand, they want to see those micro changes. So yes, at the end of the day, the, the they job don't really caught, know though, do they? For, for, from my experience, you know, as limited as that might be, yes, the, that's what they, they, they want to see. They want us to see, they want to see the work go into it to make sure or that is we're, that what they think they need to see to validate the money they've spent on the pre-con agreement. Yeah. That's never been in question. The, the guys, money. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask, do you, do you guys use uh cost plus method? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the conversation I have with clients always is whether I buy the wood or builder B or builder C buys the wood, it's the same cost. Right. We're, we have a process that's fully transparent to them. They're going to see all of those costs. Um, so really what they are, comparing is is our percent uh as a builder versus builder b and builder c right and and then the conversation switches because usually we're we're between one percent maybe two percent difference it's a close race yeah it's always close right and and so what you start to make them realize that that's actually what you're 
assessing right now, in addition to, of course, the quality, but if you've been referred by the architect, a lot of that's been pre-qualified. Um, and then the conversation switches to the process that you have that shows them the transparency and the control that they have to be able to manage the costs, right? If they have a budget, a specific budget in mind, it, it, it's less about, okay, what's the cost per square foot or how much do you charge per square foot? And it's more about okay, this is really what the drivers are to your, your costs and your budget. Um, and you have the control to, we have a process where we sort of provide them the control to manage it to a budget if that's what they want to do. You're right. I think that's the key part is that, Nick, I'm not saying you're conforming to the, the machine, but I want to be able to kick out a number to them and then I want to walk through the design with them and go, hey, what is it that you guys want? I want to learn more about this, but I I don't want it to be about numbers. Yeah, and it's and I know it, it's but that's counterintuitive, but, and that's part. Of, I mean, it's it's not all about but the. You're cost. showing value through what your precon and your values brought to them by what by be, schedule be, no, by no, no, showing no, no. them. No, that's the that's the paperwork that comes along with it. The, the that's what you described to me. That's all I know with your with your system. Well, we're talking. We're specifically talking about the the budget side of it. the 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 value is being part of the design process, and the and being part of the design process is making sure that they they're getting what they want. That that we're not leaving anything on the table. That if they've set, c communicated a two million dollar budget and they can't afford the you know everything that they want we we're still looking at it all right well you know it's 2.2 million so is that extra two hundred thousand dollars within reach for us to get 100 percent of what you're looking for but do you know but I th but no it's, i think it's, the model is do you show them what two million gets them of course our we we look at it if if we're pricing a job and they and there's a, a target budget in mind we're going to hit that we're going to get to that number but before we get to that that target two million, we'll just use as an example. We're going to price it out as exactly how they've the design has unfolded, and that might be two point eight million. And we're going to communicate that just so they understand that hey, it's we're two point eight. This is how we would get down to two two million. And usually, and you, got, and you got to that by having it sent out for pricing. Not all the time. No, it depends on how far. It depends on how detailed the drawings are. If the details, if the if we're only at again like a thirty percent set. Then we're we're putting we're putting less effort into it. We're looking at a big picture, like you know, over. We're doing one right now, and in, in what it came down to is the house was just too big. We had to cut we had to cut square footage in order for us to drive that number down. And most of the time, we're getting you know column a, that's column A and column B, and then we do a column C where it's you know, hey, two point eight million gets one hundred percent of what you want. Two million gets you sixty five percent of the way there. But if we were at 2.2, you're actually at 95%. That last 5% is really what's driving that cost way up. And if we just scale back that. So you're, you're, we're bringing to the table value in the sense that they don't ever feel as though they, they didn't know what was within reach. Whether that's financial reach, whether that's schedule reach, or scope reach. But the value is you, you, the builder being involved in that design, being in those meetings, being able to, you know, when, when they talk about, hey, you know, we want to do a wide open ceiling here and this is what we're thinking, you know, John, you can be like, well, that's going to, we, we just did that at our Oasis project and that's going to require steel. Just, you know, making sure that, you know, that, that someone that's done it before can, can comment on it and it's not just, 
you know, they're not just throwing things at the wall in, in hoping that it fits within the budget where it's, you know, that might, tr- that might trigger you in- to say, Hey, listen, that's not what I was considering in this project is, you know, we weren't thinking superstructure. We weren't thinking structural steel, but you know, we can do it, but we just have to be cognizant of the fact that, that, you know, that can potentially drive the cost. Do you, do you guys, does any, any of you guys do a tender? Do you guys participate in tenders or no? Like a goal tender? I don't play goalie. I play defense. <laughs> what is it? The, uh, the, where the, where the architects tender the drawings to three builders. That's almost I think the it's majority pretty common. happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. We, We've I, gotten a lot of our projects where clients come to us and they want us to do the design as well. And then I, I'm not a design build firm, so we'll, we'll kind of acquire the architect that we like to use and kind of go that route. That's why one of those projects came to us that way. We offered up two architects. They went with one of them. One of them I don't have an amazing relationship with, which I'd love to, Ahern. So I'm like, how do I get ahead of it and show value without... That's what I'm saying. Like It's gone out to now it's in design. And it's like, I know that they have their own Rolodex of builders. And I'm like, I know I'm doing one with them, but I'm not in the top five, let's say. I'm not in their you know, top five videos that they like to watch on YouTube. So it's like, how do I get there? And I want to show that by going, hey, this is what I think this is going to cost. And, this is, and how I show that is this is that spreadsheet, and this is what the five last builds are. Similar square footage, similar details you sent. So in that initial meeting I'll ask for, when I walk it, it's almost no budget. It's nothing a, a big pitch for me. It's, I'm really trying to get a lay of the land. Yeah. Trying to understand, you know, why'd you guys buy this property? You, you've already committed to that and, and it shouldn't be designed. And then you dilute the builder because the design's already done. And it's like trying to figure out how, what's important to you. Right. And then see if they want to ask about process. See if they want to ask about anything. And it's tough. And I just feel like that's, I can put together that budget in probably three hours. You know, meaning put it together and then put together the line item next to it that says, it's 300 line items that show an average of the last three houses. And I think that's what gives clarity to that and goes, all right, you've already committed to this design. Both these products we're talking about have already committed to an architect and are doing that off reservation without any builder involved. But they're still talking with me in the meantime. And I'm like, 15 years ago, I'm like, I still got this. I own that. That's my build. I'm putting a sign out front. And the reality of it is it's not the case. So I'm like, how do I, how do I stay... Like, like Swingers, the movie. Like, when do I reach out again? Is it every three yeah. days? Is it, is it day too early? Is <laughs> five days too late? And trying to keep it on and just... And want to be a resource. And there's other projects where you know it's yours. Like, hey, here's the designer. They sign that designer up. And that's what we've been doing a lot of is that, hey, we don't sign a, pre, a pre-construction agreement. You know, if it's design, if it's renovation, here's an architect, here's a designer. Do that and then they'll both let me know when they're ready and then we'll go. So I guess I'm just, I'm running on a bunch of different ideas, but I just, I not, I'm not rebelling against you, Nick. It's just that process. And that's why I probably haven't done a pre-construction agreement mm-hmm. because I know how volatile price. I just got a call yesterday that copper has gone up and that electrical, a roll of, you know, 14 too went from $50 to $106. Yeah. Like the pricing I gave them, lumber prices are good for 10 days max. Like, yeah, but let's remove that for a second. What about everything That's else? That's a huge that you're doing? piece, though. No, no, I'm not. I'm saying remo- the 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 thing that you seem to be caught up on is the 
the value of providing pricing. Forget the pricing. What so about I've, your? So I've done this process, Nick. Just I just, just to give everyone that's listening a kind of heads up. I've done this. I've done your road. I get it, and I find that it burns more time and gives a false sense of comfort and relationship that people are more aggravated at the end of it, depending on how it comes out because they've put their faith in you to make this happen when you want to blame the design and it's not you. And then you've done six months of pre-con that you've been paid 10,000 for. But the reality is I could have made a better connection with somebody. I'm saying me, cause I only know me with someone if I didn't do that agreement, didn't commit to them with that money and done that. And I could have met two other clients that were perfect. That's what I'm trying to vet out, not how to close that person with that agreement. I want to know what's the best use of my time and how to vet that. Yeah. I mean, I get that. I guess, you know, there's still a lot that goes into vetting that, that process in vetting. And if, you know, you're rather than doing it for free you're simply you, you should be paid for your time i mean if we're talking business i mean it's you know just strict business right forget the client relationship side of it and or the what the value is it's the value is what you bring to the table the the flip side is that you're 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 making money doing it it's not to get them to close and do the project it's not about that it's about making you know you know your value like your value your you should be covered for the time that you're putting into it and 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 feel as though you're not taken advantage of so it could be a great it could be a great experience all the way through and at the very end things don't work out and it's like you you know and there that situation that stings it's like man i've i've put all this time into it and i everything was going well and you know what they they decided that they don't want to do the job you know, and reg- whether it was you know, blamed on putting the faith in the builder or they just chose to not not work with you for whatever reason. It's like all of that time, you know, it's a, it, in my opinion, it should, like, you should be paid for that. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, the reason I do it is because I know that everyone, um, everything's so price-driven. And I don't want to waste my time. I'm basically trying to get rid of the tire kickers up front. Where, um, I mean, even for example, there was three jobs recently that came up that there was no design involved. It was basically ripping stuff out, putting it back in place. And I, I couldn't use that angle to be like, hey, bring us in. We'll sort out the design we'll handle all of that and we'll price the job at the same time. So we couldn't do that. All three jobs, I sent them a line item budget from John's um, spreadsheet, which like full disclosure. So I'm not trying to hide any sort of pricing. God, he from didn't them. get him, did he? No, not a single one. Yeah. And dude, one lady responded right away. This was, oh, like we're not on the same page as far as pricing goes. We didn't think that it would be this much. And, they were literally their budget was one third of what I gave them. So that was like somebody that I should have screened out beforehand, but I I had told her how we price things. She was fine with it. And then I was like, let me develop a quick budget for you. So that was like the second step in the process got burnt that time. The second time the lady, it was a referral from her daughter who I guess knows us or has seen our work, um, follows us or whatever it may be. 
she's like, you came highly recommended. We tried to get hold of somebody else. Contractors aren't really returning her phone calls. Explain to them how I work. I was like, at this point, I'm not going to bring these subs out, but I'm going to get you a budget. Send her a line item budget. No response. Like a week later, follow up email. Hey, just checking that you got like my budget. And again, through this budget, like it's full line. Nobody asked for that, but I'm like, I'm not trying to hide anything as far as pricing goes. Here's what the hardwood flooring costs. Like just so you have an idea. And this budget, like it's, I, I touched base with a couple of subs and ran some things by them, but it could change. But I also feel that it's pretty realistic. And then um, follow up with her, hey, did you receive that? And then like two days later, yeah, we got it. But a couple of line items seemed high, so we want to get a second price. Um, and then the third one was the same thing. It was like pretty straightforward and no response. Sent her like a line item budget. And she's like, oh, we're still trying to figure out what we're trying to do. And for me, that was like three jobs right off the bat that I went and looked at, which I typically don't do, and then sat down and typed up a line item budget for and an email, which like at the end of the day, it was probably four hours, five hours, which it's like, I know that's part of the game, but for me and the way I'm structured, I just, I don't have time. Like I have to make money by having the tools on and being on the job and that stuff just doesn't make me money. So I just want to weed out those people from the get-go where it's like, hey, you want to hire us because you want to hire us. I'll help provide you a budget, but I'm kind of trusting that you're not like, I give you a line item budget that you're just not going to not respond to my email and be like, well, it was high. Well, call me up like, hey, the hardwood number seemed higher than I thought. Well, yeah, hardwood's like double from what I paid for it last year. Let's have a conversation like not ghost on me and then tell me a few line items seemed high where are you getting that information from? Like, where's your, your, a few, like what do you have? Like costing from getting this job priced out five, six times, or like, do you have a past career in this industry? Like to understand what goes into my costing and why it is that way. And for me, that's why I do it to kind of preserve my time and save my time. Um, and just not waste my time. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, like I'm not necessarily, I think that at the end of the day, if somebody hires me from the get go to design, bid, price, budget their job, and then execute, I do believe we're bringing value in that overall process because I think at the end of the day, they won't get that finished product without or with anyone else that's doing that um and that's i'm not like being arrogant i i know what we can do and the control that we have and the scale that we have and it's going to be tough for them to do that so i think that that's how i'm bringing value but i'm not necessarily it's selfishly i'm trying to kind of save my own ass and save my own time because i know what costs me money and where i make money exactly but if you had signed them up for an agreement after like the second meeting I'm yeah. just going through the motions, signing them up for five grand, and then and then now it's on your plate as an obligation, and it's a burden for you. Like as soon as you receive money, it's a burden on you. It's on my conscience. It's blah blah blah, and then it's a month and a half process of you doing this. The result would have been the same. Am yeah. I wrong? No. Um. Potentially, I also like I I wouldn't sign somebody up for that without having like a a loose budget in place 
Um, so I, I do kind of start throwing numbers out there and then like, it is slow. I'm not necessarily not giving them any sort of budging before beforehand. Um, but I think that at that, like if I, if I signed somebody up for something and I knew that my numbers were way off or I gave them a low number and then we came in at a higher number, it, it Hey, what's the conversation? Like this one job you wanted, you wanted a herringbone oak floor and like okay well it's more than you thought you can't do herringbone in that room you know so let's let's sort out other things um but at the end of the day i i feel like if somebody comes to us and hires us for what they what we do they'll understand the cost associated with that and then we'll make that project work however we have to the other thing for me is that like I'm fine investing my time in that upfront because I only need to do a few jobs a year. So that like locks me in, keeps my schedule. Um, and then I'm, I'm not doing that with every single customer who comes to me. It's only customers who I really feel are a good fit that were a very good chance of doing the job. Um, and there, there has been maybe one or two people that designs fell through and we just couldn't hit their budget and looking back at it i was unrealistic with my numbers in the first place um and i so, probably so like Tyler. you said locked myself into a situation that i couldn't get out of but i should have i shouldn't have ever even signed them up for that design in the first place so Aaron, we'll get back to you in a second but <laughs> if if so you gave that that potential client a ballpark budget then they came back to you and said we went down the road where people bail what about the people that come back to you and go, yeah, it's pretty close. Now you sign them up. Yeah. How, I mean, is, is that how yeah, it would typically go? And, that, then... and I mean, what usually ends up happening is like, Hey, I mean, even so that, that garage gym, right? Like that design wasn't that design when they first came to us. It's, it's how much money do you want to spend on this space? And like the number that we wound up at, was like twice what they what we initially said because I was like I don't know what you guys want to do it's a garage right now you say you want a home gym but we don't have anything I don't know your aesthetic I don't know anything I could do it for this much like that would get you a really nice home gym in my head I had no clue that that's what they wanted for a home gym so then when I start meeting them and like at this point it's like they're serious about me. I came referred, they knew my work, they had looked into things, they had called a couple of customers. So at that point, I was fine signing up with a design contract with them and was like, but still understand that this number, there's nothing on paper right now. So that number doesn't really mean anything. But what we did is we, we did like one round of design and then we priced it and then he added stuff and I was like, it's going to be this much more and by the end of the day like they said hey this is more than we thought it was going to be but we we understand what we're going to get it's going to be nice we finished the job and he's like i knew it was going to be nice i didn't know it was going to be this nice so like i obvious like i left money on the table at that <laughs> point right um but it's i i don't it's not like a hard distinct line in the sand where I have this process and it's the same process for every customer. Like I'm only going to sign somebody up for a design contract. If I truly believe that we can do that job and like, I want to do that job and I like the customers. I'm not just going to sign them up to like lock them in and lock a job on my schedule 
it's it's like hey if you guys are serious you want to hire me then you can give me a deposit towards the job and we'll start working on the job and pre you know designing the job and all the pre-construction stuff and we'll have to sort out all those details but it's not that process it's not um it's not like it's the same exact thing for every single customer and i could hand this sheet of paper over to anyone and they could follow that it's based on a lot of gut reactions a lot of instinct um a lot and, of pauses and a lot of looking down and a yeah. lot of things that kind of i'm with you 100 percent. like a, a lot of tailoring that to each customer and like honestly these people who came to me there was i didn't have anything that i could offer to like be like hey are you guys gonna hire me or are you just pricing this out and like told them i don't price jobs out and then like send them pricing and then sure enough we're gonna price this job which like i don't care you can price the job out i know i'm gonna be more money than but i also know that like so when you go and get somebody and he's pricing your floor it's not the floor guy that i'm using like i'm bringing somebody in from another state because i want like you to have a really nice floor and you just have to know what you're getting and at that point i think that if you're not hiring me to do this job maybe it is too much money and you don't need to pay that but you also don't want that level of execution because you won't get it if True. you pay less but i think the other part i mean what helps in my and what my process is is that i put that ballpark budget together and put it on there and we're cost plus so if you don't use that line item it goes back into the piggy bank so it's not like with the lump sum which i think you'd be crazy to use right now with the fluctuation of numbers unless you put a massive amount of float on it um but it, it's that's a great asset there is that hey we're open book we're transparent and if you don't use it whatever and then at the same time as we go through it i, I tell clients I'm going to bid out the demolition, the excavation, all that stuff with my three core people. We have three to six people. We'll bid it out with those guys. I'll use, I know who I love. I'll give them, I'm going to give them last call on that. I'm going to have two guys look at it. I know what the numbers are on the budget. If it looks great, we'll buy it down. If not, it might be a little bit more depending on what soil we hit, blah, blah. The limit of, of what's going to go wrong is through the dig for a new house for me. Cause after that, it's really just execution. And if numbers go crazy, like copper, for electrical went up, then, you know, I'd let them know as soon as I got that phone call, you know, but it's like, I can really gauge that and not really have to worry about it. So it's, and, and then I can present to them, Hey, we're doing this. We're, this is asphalt. This will hit your number. Here's a rendering of what it looked like. Do you want to go with that or not? And I get it. It's more of an organic process. And, and I think that's what I love about it. Yeah. There's nothing structured in, and I, I know to grow a company, it needs to have some sort of a structure because otherwise I'm going to do it all, all the time. And that's why we've kicked more towards architects because if I'm hand drawing or if I know the detail in my head for that pigeon return or whatever it is, then I can never delegate that. And that's where it's been my biggest flaw for the last two years is yeah. in how do you do that? So we've made aggressive movements to you know get more things on paper. So that's the best I've done in the last two years. I, I, think, I think the challenge from my perspective, big picture is we're we're still in a process that's forcing us to react constantly, right? And and it's, you know, for me, the fact that architecture is its own silo, interior design is its own silo, engineering is its own silo and construction, with that process, we're always, we're always kind of reacting to the situation, right? There isn't this proactive approach. And I think the, um, that's, that's why we're looking at trying to get sort of 
earlier on into the process so that so that um, you know we can we can be part of it from the beginning cost it pro properly meet client objectives you know you think about when the design has gone through the whole process on its own it's like an information dump right you're just like given the the drawings and you're trying to react now through that entire process which um, is for me it's it's a flawed process so so that's why we're looking at um, and, and you know these are great conversations and, and we're not going to find a an easy answer because I believe personally because we're, we're dealing with a flawed process that that I, we're trying to, to change and I think I think um, it's not easy um, but but I think it's part of the solution you know Aaron do you find that when you I love the reach out with architects what are you finding that these architects are giving you for the first round of a project are they giving you a brand new home are they giving you that you know mudroom renovation to get your get their feet wet with you uh like a new architect that we haven't worked yeah with? like the one that you've kind of done a lunch date with or whatever you, you call yeah. it and just trying lunch in and then they they want to try you out but they also like i've had feedback from an architect that says you know we just don't have that in depth of a relationship to be able to give you a new house yeah yeah, a, a lot of the times you're right. It's a, it's maybe a smaller project. Um, a lot of the times the clients will, again, back to the marketing piece um, and and the the reputation. The clients will will bring our name up to that architect. So um, so there there's that aspect to it as well. But but yeah, everyone everyone's different. Um, architects, especially in your local area, you I'm sure you you know this. They talk to each other, right? The, the different architects, architectural firms, I find have have a communication line with each other. So they know who the good builders are, who, who are who are not good um, as well. Yeah, I, I, it definitely is a, a flawed system for sure. And I, I think even with your process, like you said, if you can if you can get that modeling and kind of costing done live, basically, like as the architect is designing and they can make those changes so that it is more proactive and not reactive, that would be huge. Um, I mean, that would be huge even just like for customers saying, well, we want to do it this way, but we also want you to price it this way where it's like, I don't want to price it five. But if it's it's that simple that you can make those adjustments on the fly and have that that database of information, that would be huge. Um and I, but I, at the same time, I think that that's still a starting point, right? Once that construction begins, it's still our job is reactive at that point. Yeah. It's managing the budget at that point. Like whether your percentage is different than the next guy or you guys are the same percentage, it still comes down to managing that budget because you can still be more money because you didn't manage the budget properly. You didn't manage subs properly change orders properly finishes properly and you didn't manage that budget and like well yeah now you know i'm seven hundred thousand dollars more than we thought we were going to be or the guy who has a lower percentage could be that much higher just because he didn't manage that that project properly yeah although i think with the modeling if it, you know the, the technology is there and the capability is there to to pretty much model the entire build right like you can digitally pre-build this home um, as an example, we've started we've started incorporating HVAC um, into all of our. We typically use open web floor joists, 
So we're, we're actually running with the mechanical engineer is another reason why, you know, you want us in, engaged earlier is we're having the conversations with the mechanical engineers about, okay, you know, how do we, how are we going to run the, the HVAC system through the house, have it all modeled, you know, you, you can, you can identify through clash detections, the, you know, the, the typical uh, HVAC trunk through a structural beam that you're not going to figure out till you're on site building the house. You can figure that out digitally um, with the model. And, and again, back to being proactive versus reactive. Now we're going back to the mechanical engineer or maybe the structural engineer saying, let's find a solution here, you know, model it so that ideally we're handing, uh, you know, drawings to our HVAC contractor that is saying, this is the, this is the exact cavity you're going to go down. This is how all your ducts are going to run because uh, we've already pre-planned it. Uh, so how, how much are those changes going to hurt once you start building? That's what we had a conversation about lat, where we had somebody else on, even with like panelization. And it's like, well, now you want to start cutting into walls and changing stuff. And it's like, we already designed all of this yeah, and yeah, paid for no all of this to be done. And now like we're kind of redoing things. Yeah. And I think this is where, where I mean, construction, I think we're the second worst industry at adopting innovation right, at adopting technology. I think agriculture is the only one that's worse than us. Um, this is where we have to embrace technology, right? So if you can model the house, the the virtual reality, the rent, you know, all of that stuff is there, it's capable, it's it's available to us. So that hopefully you, you're, you've got clients that now have virtually kind of walked through the house and, and in an ideal world, you just have an understanding, especially when you're panelizing that you know, we're, we're, this is the design phase. This is the construction phase. Ideally, we do not want to be cutting into walls or changing walls or, or different dimensions during the construction phase. I know that's easier said than done, but I do think the more you can model, the more you can, you can visualize and show clients, you know, the, the virtual realities, all of that, uh, fun stuff, the more you can mitigate some of those changes. I mean, that would be the goal too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be the goal to reduce that as much as possible and reduce the changes on site and keep things moving. We're, we're building a home right now for um, some AI guru. Um, and he's, he's invented the, the virtual reality technology to allow you with the goggles on to go in and actually turn on taps and see water come out of the faucets. Or, or like open a door and and physically see the door open. Um, so the technology is is there. I mean, it's 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 we just have to kind of embrace it um, and change the mindset uh, of of how we, uh, especially as construction firms, how we approach the process. So at that point, if again, I like that differentiates you, and even just being able to offer that to customers um it's like they have to select you in the first yeah. place like they have to go with you and at that point it's like you're putting yourself on this level that's completely different and my your pricing is kind of irrelevant at that point because nobody else is offering this yeah um which is good yeah yeah you, you exactly and i think you know that's you know you've got the the building science component you've got the health and wellness component and now you've got a process that's integrated for you know, using the latest in modeling uh, capabilities, um, 
which then translates into the panelization capabilities. You're right, you're comparing apples to oranges when, and this is what I say to, to clients when they're looking at us or one of my competitors, it's like, you know, we, we kind of view it as we don't have a competitor. We're yeah. unique um, in, in the value proposition we offer. It's like, what do you want? You got like, pick what you want. Do you want that or do you want this? And it's not, I don't, I don't know. For me, and maybe I'm different, maybe it's because I am in the industry, but it's, it's so easy to see that and be like, well, I have to pick one or the other. It's not really between those two. I mean, like it is, but you got to make a decision. Um, you can't have both and you can't get anything close to option A if you go with B. They're just two separate two separate paths there's two separate processes and there's two separate finished products yeah yeah no and, and the mechanical piece is the big one right like how many times are you building the house and all of a sudden recognize they have a, a you know a, an hvac trunk going right through a structural beam and now you've got a unintended you're reacting to an unintended bulkhead that you're trying to create now into the design um all of that goes away when, yeah. when you when you model, when you proactively kind of digitally pre-build the house. Which again is mitigating that and reducing those, those, uh, those changes down the road, which helps keep things on schedule, helps keep things on budget. And also like makes you're able to actually execute your design as intended, not like, well, now we have to put this bulkhead, you know, to be able to get this HVAC in. What are other options? You can actually execute that design as intended and not be like, well, somebody designed this wrong or the HVAC guy or the architect didn't have this. Point the finger. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Aaron, how, how are you confirming that the client's actually retaining this? Like, you know, like, I feel like there's a lot of absentee clients, even though they're reviewing designs with architects or whatever, you know, 2D, 3D, whatever. And then I get to the build and I don't assume that we're good, but then they walk the house and go, you know how many times I've had a client walk in to, let's say it's at the finish and they go, oh, that's the paint color in my room. And I'm like, whoa, didn't you do all these samples? Don't you know this? Like, what did I miss? And then like, they're like, oh, that's the countertop in here. And I'm like, yeah, that's what they signed off on. And so that's what I worry about is that when we talk about this process, whether it's pre-con or the design phase, let's just say architecture we're involved, is that we're assuming that everyone's of the same knowledge base and that they're absorbing the information. That's Like you and I look at drawings, all of us look at drawings and see something different. Yeah. And then the architect will see another motive or design and we're assuming what the client sees. So if now you go to panelization, I know you have the modeling, I know you have all that, but someone could have a bad day at work, gotten in a fight with their you know, significant other, and then go to that meeting for that 3D model. And they're not gonna admit that they're in a bad mood. They're not gonna admit that they're not really paying attention or half paying attention. How, because I, what I, I guess if I can cut to the chase is that I don't wanna get to the build and go, you signed off on this. I have in Dropbox a signature and initial from you on this model and you went to this meeting and blah, blah, blah. The system has has corrected all these things so we don't have this problem. So now you pay for this. And now what I say is we don't manage products, we manage regret. I don't want to put a bigger value on a change and put regret in their pocket that they walk in and go, I hate this, but I signed off on a model. I spent 20 grand on pre-con. I did all this stuff, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this window that looks at the neighbor's bathroom, and the guy doesn't have a blind. 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, we're still custom home builders, right? And and the key word there is custom. And and yes, I think you can you can change a very reactive pos- uh, process and make it as reactive as possible. You're still going to have elements of of changing. You know, if it's if it's an interior wall that has to shift uh, six inches one way or another doesn't matter if you're panelizing, right? That's that's still exactly the same way you would do it even if you stick framed it. Um, you know, finish changes, that's always going to happen. You know, and to a certain degree, we've all worked with different levels of interior designers. Um, and, and, you know, some have a lot more changes than others. So I think that's going to be just the reality of being a custom home builder to a certain degree. But I still don't want to give up on trying to use technology to make what we do more proactive than constantly just reacting to what the situation kind of presents itself. Cause, cause it makes us inefficient. We end up being the bad guys. Um, and, and we end up not truly demonstrating sometimes truly demonstrating our value proposition to, to architectural firms. Um, when I think they do need us, um, at, at that process. I 100% agree. I think the more you react, the, the more you're taking away from some other portion of the design of the home that needs to get executed. It's the same as I love design, sketching stuff out, but the more I do of it, the less management I'm doing. Yeah. And there's just the reality of it. There's only so many hours in that day on that physical site that you have me. And if I'm going to do that, whatever I'm wasting it on, whether it's a client meeting that's not about the project, that's relationship part of it, I get it. But there's a lot of times we have those meetings and you'd all be lying if you said you didn't think about it, that at a certain portion of that meeting that you're having this casual conversation, you're like, what's happening right now? (laughs) Like, what is that tile guy doing that I left an hour ago? What could he possibly be screwing up? (laughs) And, and that's what takes away from, you know, the data. It just, it's a really tough balance. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. So what's your structure look like? I know, Ty, you got a hard stop, right? Uh, I'll just dip out. You guys can keep going. I mean, it's up to you. 8.30. Okay. I just, I, I figured that what's, you know, with all the pre-con talk that we've kind of dove down the rabbit hole, what's the structure like with your company? You know, PMs, you have, you have carpenters, are they lead carpenters? Are you calling them supers? You know, what's their responsibility, you know, versus title per se? Yeah. Back up their title with responsibility. Yeah. So we have a we have a PM department. Um, we have site supers. We try to limit our site supers to two projects, kind of geographically located close to each other, which is for us what we find is the nice balance to kind of keeping a handle on quality and, and safety. Um, we've got finance in house. I know a lot of a lot of builders kind of do the external bookkeeper route. We just got to a point where we we're like we got to bring that in house. So we have a finance department. And um, it's funny you use that word. What's that? I feel like you were going to then say you finance the house for like, you're the bank. No, God, no. I know, but that's the finance part. I was like, (laughs) my eyes perked. I was like, really? Because I've had clients ask, do you guys, you know, and I'm like, what? I I do have a great uh, construction finance uh, uh, broker, like finance broker that, that we send clients to if they need financing. It's actually been invaluable, um, but um, and then we've got we actually kept the carpentry crew as hum, Hummingbird Hill Timber Solutions. So technically, it's a separate entity. 
Um, we do have lead, so we've, we've got lead uh, carpenters or head carpenters, um, framing crew and a finish crew, basically. So we have about 50, 50 employees in total. Wow. And, and that framing crew is billing to, to you guys, Hummingbird. Yeah. That's yeah. smart. Yeah. And you don't have any designers on staff? No, we, we sort of dabbled with interior design. Um, we go back and forth on that, that mindset. Uh, there's pros and cons. I think if you're going to commit back to our conversation about the integrated approach, you have to go all in or, yeah. or all out, right? So, um, yeah, at this point, we're all out. We're just a construction firm. What was your, what was your main reason for bringing finance in-house? Just with the amount of transactions, right? Um, not even just between us and homeowners, but between us and, and sub trades, um, just, just the volume that we felt we could better control, uh, back to the transparency with, uh, clients. You know, we've got a process where we upload all paid invoices to the portal. Um, so just, just having sort of in-house, uh, we have two, two bookkeepers that, that sort of manage that, that process. How'd you find those people? Oh, it's hard as hell. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, it's our, that is the biggest challenge I think all of us probably have, right? It's just finding good people, um, qualified people. Do you know an, an unintended benefit? And I did not, I cannot take credit for this, but when we branded Hummingbird Hill around sustainability and around health and wellness, what I ended up realizing is we actually attract a certain type of employee that identifies with our brand. And, and that's actually been a huge benefit for us that I totally did not anticipate. So, um, you know, the, the carpenters that, that sort of come to us when we post a job uh, for a carpenter, you know, they have a passion for building sustainably or, or, or health and wellness. Same thing with project managers and site supers. You guys it's, have like tea, tea breaks instead of coffee breaks and stuff like that. Everyone takes yeah. vitamins. <laughs> we, we do little <laughs> yoga sessions and meditation. Everyone and stretches at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds good, eh? Uh, but uh, the, yeah, so it's hard. You know, we, we, we post, uh, we, we post jobs just like I'm sure you guys do, but we get a lot of, we give our employees a little incentive if they can refer um, people to the company when we when we're looking to fill positions. Are are your carpenters generally younger, or just kind of run the gamut? Our our Finnish carpenters, we've got. I'm, I acknowledge my bias, but I think I've got two of the best Finnish carpenters, maybe even three of the best Finnish carpenters in in the city. They're a bit older. Um, the the framers, I find, yeah, it's they're they're probably in their you know, 35 or less. Um, and, and then it's a mix, um, throughout, but I mean, you know, as an example, I don't, I'm not sure if this is an indication of anything or not, but we've got, uh, 25 carpenters. I think there's one that smokes again, not that that's an indication of anything, but, but it's, it's just sort of a byproduct of who we're attracting, um, for, uh, you know, for, for those types of positions. We're talking cigarettes, right? Yeah, I was going to joke and say the other, the other <laughs> vape. It's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we're like, uh, we're like Colorado or whatever states yeah. uh, legalize marijuana. We're, they all listen to Grateful Dead. 
Yeah. Fish. <laughs> God, it's a massive payroll. Yeah. Do you do you <laughs> it, uh, what's uh do you yeah, have a yeah. turnover do you have a turnover with your framers or is everyone stick around for a decent amount of time? Oh, that's that's one of the hardest ones, right? Like like none of the next generation that's coming up really wants to kind of get into that field I find it's it's super hard to uh I do talks with with colleges and and high schools about kind of trying to to you know in, um, encourage them to consider trades I I don't know about you guys but I get like a phone call every day from a new smart home uh provider and and I always say to them listen I'm dying for framers if if some of these young guys can can or young people can get into framing um you'd never have to advertise it a day in your life but um it's hard that's a hard one they have their own hashtag on instagram you know the dying breed or something like that yeah i I want to go back to the finance question just real quick that you said you have two people two bookkeepers so is that you know in compared to other people I've talked to that run two, is that so one runs the BIM and the other one runs the accounting software and they're basically communicating and, and focus on one spot or is that just because the overwhelming amount of transactions? It's more the latter. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just sort of managing ARAP, yeah. um, that process of uploading into the BIM um, process, etc. Gotcha. What's what, the, uh, yeah. I was, was going to ask, Sorry, John. I'm going to interrupt you real quick to finish this framing conversation. Um, so, you, if you guys are panelizing a lot and it's in house, are your your framers transitioning over to framing basically not on site? Um, like, has how how's that worked for you guys? Has it been a seamless transition? It's it's a it's an evolution, I guess, um, in the sense that you know they are framing now indoors, so um you know there's pros and cons to that depending on the weather but from a from a quality perspective um we're we're seeing a difference for sure i think this so when we deliver the panels to site we've we've invested in that new um merlot the telehandler that rotates 360 degrees yeah crane telehandler and now the framers have the remote control strapped to their to their waist and it's almost like playing a video game right they're picking up panels and, and kind of moving them into place, which I'm hoping will speak more to this younger generation coming up, um, that you're not killing yourself um, physically as, as much as you probably used to. Yeah, I feel I feel like framers, if, if you were in the area and getting into framing, that it would be a good opportunity to look that direction. Um, I'm sure it's going to head more and more that way too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I personally think in in a period of time, I don't know how many years, but they'll look back and say, "What the hell were we thinking? Shipping all of the lumber to site and hand cutting basically everything." Um, you know, might I'm not sure how long it'll take for us to kind of realize that, but but I think that's I think that's coming. Yeah. You'll see my IG post in 20 years and go, "What the hell is he still doing? Yeah. <laughs> why are, why are they using wood? So yeah. so expensive." What does he that, have? Damn, it moves. Hey, how? What is the? Sorry, we didn't jump, but I wanted to ask about your high school talks. But what's lumber prices up in Canada oh, like? Dude. Or is it? Is it just us? Oh no, it's not you. I just had to 
to recently tell a client. So we, we got the lumber price pre COVID, of course, when we were pricing out the job and as we framed it, it was, I think a hundred thousand dollar lumber package. And, uh, I had to do a change order for $75,000 incremental, same house, same amount of lumber. Um, and, uh, you know, no additional value really to the, to the homeowner. So at a, at a, you know, at the framing stage, we're still kind of in that developing trust and, and here I am delivering a $75,000 change order because of lumber pricing. It's yeah, it's, it's brutal. It's yeah. Now, do you think that's going to impact the finishes? If you had done all your pre-selections for all, all that stuff, is that going to impact the budget that way? Or is that what you're thinking in house? Yeah, it depends on the client. Like, I'm sure you get this too. Some clients just they just have a, a a lot of money, and and they are very design driven, right? So nothing will impact the finishes. They they have an uh, uh, an objective; they're going to achieve it. Others that are much more budget conscious, for sure, hundred percent. They're they're going to have to cut back on on uh, you know hardwood and plumbing fixtures and lighting fixtures, etc. So going back to the high school talks, forget about lumber, even though it's a hot button, could yeah. go up another thirty five percent. It's just crazy. Weep. It's just crazy, and I feel like they're just trying to figure out if they can pop the bubble for the industry, and they just still can't. So they're going to keep going. <laughs> it's crazy. It's, if it was gas prices, it would be like from two to four, and then trying to get to five. Be like, I was around when that happened, and I was a young driver then. I was just like, all right, I'll keep going, but I was young and naive. Not thinking, I think people switch the diesel and all that, but, but high school, your high school talks, what's that like? Awesome. Yeah. I, I try to, you know, have some chats with, with the colleges and the high schools, um, really, you know, trying to change the mentality of, you know, high school, um, and, and it's automatic to, to sort of a, a white collar job and, and really just trying to, to, to get them under, to understand the, the value of, of what you're going into the trades, you know, is, and, and the fact I'm sure you guys are dealing with, with, you know, there's more trades retiring than there are coming in. So we've got a, a shortage there. We're, we're just trying to, we're trying to kind of, um, change the narrative around getting into the trades, um, as a, as a very honorable, um, and rewarding career option. I'm jealous that you're doing that. <laughs> you can always come up here and join me. No, I mean, I, there's high schools here. I should do it with. So it's not, that's not the excuse. It's, <laughs> it's, I just, I've thought of the idea. I just, uh, at the same time, I hate getting in front of people. Um, so I guess I should just put that behind me. Yeah, That's why, that's yeah. why we do the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also Vir- trying to virtually. figure out how you show, again, showing value, which is probably a trigger word. And I'm just have a short vocabulary. So I'm using that word. But, like, how do we pivot people that are on the fence? I think this whole conversation, whether it's a client or a high school student, we're going to have the people that are 100% committed regardless. It's those people on the fence that we're trying to talk to. And, and is it showing them a different, like that we can have a healthy life? Because I don't think that was something that was possible when I was younger. It was always like builders. I, don't, I can't picture a builder that wasn't a production guy. When I was younger, I, I think they were all ladder on a truck people. And 
I can't think, and I've been trying to rack my brain with it. It's like, who would I have used for an example when I was still a laborer or carpenter? And I can't find anybody. Yeah. It was more pickup trucks, ladder and truck. But how do you show that? I've thought about this a hundred times. Like what's going to get someone to change their mind. And besides just giving energy and passion to that conversation and go, Hey mom, you're not going to believe or dad who I, who I met today. That's like one cool part, but like, how do we back that up? Is it money saying, hey, you can have a healthy life and a healthy lifestyle or, you know, because that's where the whole blue collar, you know, towns used to come from. Yeah, yeah. Is there were certain towns you lived in because that's what you could afford. Yeah. So how do we change? How are you changing that in that conversation? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a it's a few things. You know, money is one thing. You know, if you look at what people are spending to go and get a four year college degree, um, is insane and then and then that's never enough these days so you know you you can you can get right into an apprentice program and 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 start making money but i don't think that's that's short-sighted if we just rely on that i think you know it's it's speaking to those that that want to um to build things to create things right to 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 be able to stand back at the end of the day and say you know i did that and and be proud of that um and and the fact that you're you you are impacting other people's lives in a positive way um and and there's not a lot of professions out there that can say that they do that right um it's one of the reasons why we we have focused on the the health and wellness piece too and 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 the research that's coming out about that is is yeah i mean the stuff that we build can actually have a much more meaningful impact on people's lives than we ever even realized um so i think it's a multi-faceted approach um I, you know we've had good success uh, i've had a bunch of of people come in you know same thing i've got three daughters i'm i'm all about getting more women into trades too um we, we one of our site supervisors is a is a as a woman and she's amazing she's absolutely amazing so again building kind of that discussion and, and conversation i think is is hugely important um for, for us and for the future of what we do. It's funny. I, I've talked to a few people and everyone always like Nick, you had a few trigger words in that discussion we had earlier about the, the pre-con thing, but a lot of people look at our industry and getting into it as a job, not as a career. And it yeah. starts at like summers and it starts with these small increments of time that you're, I don't want, I don't want to use the word wasting, but you're using up till, the real job or real career sets in. And I think that's the initial change. And I don't know if it's, I think I asked you about the high school thing because I want to know if that's making a change or if it's also like having the, we talked about this between the three of us is if we went to a school, it, we want to talk to the whole grade and the guidance counselors. Cause yeah. like, there needs to be a sounding board that's deeper than just us going there. And you know, if someone meets them and then, Hey, how do you follow up? They need to know that the guidance counselors also can see the same passion because I don't even think I ever talked to a guidance counselor in, in high school. I don't remember that either. Yeah. But it's like, how do they know? And I think showing that this is a career and not just a summer job that you get stuck in and you try and make a career out of it, it, it is that. It is a career and you can make good money and build some amazing things and it's tangible. Yeah, yeah. My kids do it. My kids drive around. They love it. They're like, you built that one. And then I love when they pick a really, really nice house that I didn't build. Like, did, you, did you do that one? And I'm like, no, no, I didn't. But 
next time. <laughs> yeah. So like they're they're jumping up the game on their own. So my my son's you know turning fourteen. I'm very interested to see. I've asked them, like, what are you into? Like, what do you? Because they they assume that you're a high school a senior and that you know what you're going to be to go into college. And I always think of that Ferris Bueller's part of the movie where he's singing on the on the float, and yeah. his girlfriend and best friend are talking. Like, do you want to go to college? Yeah, I'm going to go. What do you want to be? And they both look at each other. And go, I have no idea. Yeah. And that's the majority of people. But if we're not getting our 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 passion out there to people, then they don't know it's an option. Yeah. You know, and even just, just this, this podcast, I'm sure there's a lot of people contemplating in high school right now. Um, you know, that generation, uh, is certainly more attuned to podcasts than, than my generation. So the fact that you guys are doing this has an impact. Right. And I think, I think seeing people like us, um, and we've made a living and, and, you know, we've made a good living. Um, and, and it's not all like, you know, um, there, there can be a professionalism to what we do, um, I think is, is great, you know, and I commend you guys for, for doing this. This is awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely think money is a big thing, but then also, like you're saying, I, people want to, um, you know, feel respected and they don't want to be looked down on. I think that society as a whole can be very judgmental especially in in towns where it's not as blue collar and it's not hip to work with your your hands and it's kind of a second class life and i think that if if people can kind of have a, a bit more dignity for what we do and for what they do and demand respect um for themselves and for the trades that it, it would be helpful to for people to be able to say hey you know like yeah i'm a carpenter and i'm proud of being a carpenter and if my kid wants to become a carpenter i'm okay with that and it hasn't been that way for a long time so i think that uh, you know the attitude does have to to shift some um and demand a little bit more respect for what we do and i think that that will also help help it be a, um, a more relatable career choice or you know, for, for boys, for girls, for the future to get into. Um, but yeah, so much of that is also money, like where there's just other options where you don't have to kill yourself and you can make more money. You can have a 401k and you can have health benefits and a company vehicle. And that's tough with a lot of small scale construction companies. Yeah. It's a big overhead. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, that's a, that's a great point. But I think, I think we are, um, changing the narrative i think people are starting to realize it it can be a very professional um honorable career um that that you you can be proud of and that's certainly the message that i i try to deliver to people uh, we, we take apprentices in all the time and and that's you know you kind of want to if nothing else yeah they're going to learn some skills but you want their mentality thinking that way as they as they go back to school yeah uh, but it, you know, change takes time, right? And and changing the narrative takes a bit of time. But I think, um, you know, like I said, things like this actually is 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 hugely impactful, in in my opinion. Well, thanks. Yeah, I'm sure it's one of those things that, as you know, things tend to get worse before they can get better. And I think that it does it does kind of have to hit a certain point where there's going to be like more of a disparity between the good guys and the guys who are, you know, are out there to make a buck or take advantage of people. 
And I think that as that kind of happens, people will be more in tune to that. There's, there's a difference between there's differences within this industry. There's levels to this. Um, and I think that that will present some opportunities for people because it's going to be like, Hey, there's a lot of people who want to hire really good guys because they know that there's a lot of stuff out there that's not so good. And, um, I think that that'll present some opportunities for people too. Yeah. You know, and, and you bring up a good point because you know, I think, I think we have to be teaching business skills in, in the trades too. It can't just be applied skills as a mindset because, you know, as, as an industry, there are the, you know, that bottom 10% that are just, they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're terrible, right? They're, they're not, their motives are not right. They're there to scam people, whatever. There's a big chunk of, of the contractors that they don't, like we talked about before, they don't know how to scale, right? They don't know how to, how to create a professional process um, and build off of that. So they end up sort of being contained within that you know, uh, very small, small operation um, that just goes kind of from job to job to job. Whereas I think, you know, again, raising the raising the, the water level, so to speak, for the industry and training them on business skills and how to how to present a, a business plan. I mean, John, you asked in the beginning kind of how, how I set my mindset. I do an annual business plan and I've always got a five year strategic plan that I'm constantly updating as well so that you know we can scale the business we can hire very professional people you know creating environments like that in itself for for trades people um i think will be will be beneficial um but yeah it's it's gonna it's gonna take some time to change the narrative for for sure all right guys i have to uh sorry i was reading an email i gotta dip out um i appreciate your time um i'm early you guys can hang or whatever you guys are going to do to close things out but thanks for coming on appreciate it, uh, it my, my pleasure no thanks for having me yeah it was good to talk to you sorry you couldn't get a beer i can't believe john and nick didn't tell you i yeah i'm gonna go straight and grab one right now as soon as we're done <laughs> that a boy well, well thank you nick and john thank you i'll catch up with you guys later yeah get it brother see ya see you tyler I mean, aaron yeah. to it good uh, no, I was gonna say, as you know, as you've scaled up and you have these divisions of your company, what has been, you know, what is the focus going into this year and and you know, twenty twenty two? It's really the the technology piece. We're trying to to sort of integrate the whole uh, Revit, you know, BIM three hundred and sixty. When did the- you make the switch from co construct to BIM? About two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah, two years. And that, ago. and that, you know, and that's really to get the client to be far more uh, technically involved. No, initially it was it was to be honest, it was selfishly just so that we could we could do a better job at at sort of planning the execution phase. Um, gotcha. A lot of the a lot of the, the the drawings we would get, there was no overlay of mechanical right. onto so. We were we were basically doing that so that the construction phase would sure. would be uh, more efficient. Mm-hmm. But from that, it's actually opened up the opportunities um, to kind of approach the architects about about that integrated approach that we talked about, 
getting in earlier in the process. It's also opened up the opportunity for panelization. Yeah. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do that without, without sort of embracing that technology. So do you want to expand on the panelization side of it? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, we'll see kind of how that unfolds right now. We're just doing our own builds. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, that's a game changer for us. I won't, I won't stick frame traditionally, uh, another house going forward. We're even doing renovations like additions with, um, with, with panels. That's awesome. Hmm. I'll send you some prints. I'll yeah. be your first. That's a deal. As long as you got the beer ready, I'll be there. Dude, without a doubt. <laughs> I buy four at a time. I, I, they're all singles. They're all the uh, main beer company. Send oh. me your address and I'll send them off to you. They're uh, phenomenal. Oh, nice. Yeah. They're seven bucks a piece, but if I only have two a week, I think it evens off. Yeah. But, dude, what... I get passive house and it's, it's a hot button item for a lot of people because they want to be in that niche per se or, or show that value. But the wellness part, we've talked about that, you know, probably tickled the surface of it um, with FUBOTS and, you know, air quality and all this. And you've done a lot deeper. I mean, just in the brand, let's just go beyond the, you know, Hummingbird part of it. Hummingbird Hill is, you know, the thrive part. I love that because the depth of that word is is amazing. It's well done. But how is speak to more about the wellness and what are you focusing on? But I also feel like at the same time when you talk about this, you've also been able to conquer so many parts of construction, like the day to day monotony of getting subs there. Obviously, you're controlling framing, but then being able to build the schedule and state of that gives you the opportunity to expand into you know, wellness, because a lot of people are going to, I've said it in my, I want to do this too. I want to do everything. The problem is you have to do the original thing is really, really well before you can move on to expanding into this. Yeah. So how'd you get there, that evolution? But then now what are you focusing on with the wellness part? Yeah. The, the, the great question. I, what I found was when we became passive house certified and we, we were trying to sort of, you know, communicate to clients about building science, most of it just went like straight over their heads, right? And and um, what I found was instead of talking about, I'll give you an example, is is air leakage um, rates. Instead of talking about it from a sustainability standpoint and the advantages of, you know, you know, downsizing your mechanical systems and all the efficiencies that you gain from a from a tight envelope. Once I transitioned air leakage rates to health and wellness. And now we talked about indoor air quality and the impact that has on people's health, uh, different conversation, right? Total, totally different conversation. So um, we've, we've, uh, we've sort of transitioned because there's a lot of research that's coming out on this. Um, you know, there's um, the, uh, the Well Building Institute, there's the Well Living Lab, which I think is partnered with the Mayo Clinic um, they're doing studies that, that are showing us, you know, lighting matters. You know, we, we're not even thinking about lighting when we build homes typically, right? Um, but it didn't, it didn't come on the radar until everyone loved LED. And then they started putting them in nursing homes and it was all the original blue light stuff. And then they couldn't yeah. figure out why no one would go to bed. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's so true. My client taught me about that with about the, uh, what is it? The... 
I'm throwing a blank, but you know, the sarcaic rhythm of the sun, you know, how, how you wake up and then how you go to bed. We had the first technology in one of our builds that when you turn the light on, it's automatically at that time of day. So that way you're not changing your rhythm. We just did a house that had a, a dawn simulation. So in the morning, instead of a, instead of an alarm clock, the, the lighting would start to simulate a sunrise in the room and your blinds would slowly come up. And actually the sound of, uh, I think it was birds chirping or nature or something would slowly start to sort of fill the, the room so that that's how you're waking up. Um, sounds kind of hokey, but oh my gosh, when you're actually standing in the room and watch this dawn simulation, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So if you dim it, does it all go away and the blinds close? And then you hit the <laughs> Hit the snooze button and everything just disappears. <laughs> then it slowly comes back 10 minutes later. <laughs> Go from birds to like crows and they start to get louder. I don't know. But but yeah, lighting is huge, right? And we're starting to realize from a circadian rhythm standpoint, how we light our houses has been wrong. And, and so there's a whole conversation around healthy lighting. Um, we get into... Uh, acoustics, the acoustical privacy thing and, and how much gray noise impacts kind of stress levels and, um, you know, thermal comfort, um, air quality, we even get into to water uh, purification. So it's a, it's a, you know, I, th I think it's not, it can't be me selling this, this has to be based on the research, right? And the research that's coming out supports this. Um, and, um, and I think, you know, the health and wellness industry is one of the fastest growing industries in the world right now. Um, so why on earth would construction, especially as we realize the impact our built environment has on health and wellness, why on earth would we not sort of gravitate and, and grab onto this for, for our clients? It's been, it's been huge for us. It's very interesting that Passive House was your gateway because that was the same for me. When I learned about passive house and you can put windows on a certain side for, you know, solar glare, solar gain and everything else. But at a certain point, the efficiency is lost unless you're going to you're willing to change the way you live. Yeah. And and you're willing to sacrifice design for efficiencies and and actual the sustainability of the home, you know, in, in its own right. And that was the first moment that construction went into how you had to change. It's like when we make an income, if you change your income, then you have to change your, your cost of living. If yeah. you don't do the other one, then guess what? You're going to be in debt. But in construction, it was never, I have to change the way I live. I'm building something to fit me. Yeah. And, and that was the first time that it's, how do you, ch you have to change a little bit in order to make, X amount of improvement, whether it's going to be health, wellness, or efficiencies, you know, for longevity of, you know, fossil fuel, whatever it is, you know, yeah, yeah. and I think that was the first step. So now this is the, the next step for you. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, that, that was the transition is I think everyone inherently wants to do right for the environment. I think that's where passive house comes in around the topic of sustainability. Um, but if you tell them that they have to sacrifice their hardwood floors or their marble countertops to, to build more sustainably, it's like, boom, forget it, right? So when you, when, you, when you connect the dots with health and wellness and the impact certain built, you know, built environment uh, components have on, on that, totally different conversation, right? And there's a personal 
you know, interest and, and investment that people are willing to kind of to, to, to make for that. Um, ideally, you want to do both, right? And that's kind of what we've built ourselves on is, is yeah, I mean, that built a, so I actually trademarked the, the term built to thrive. Um, and, and that's exactly what it is. It's really about, you know, how do we thrive kind of from a health and wellness standpoint as, as people, as humans, but how do we also from a, being a builder, how do we do so that also encourages the environment to thrive too, right? Cause the two are so interconnected. You can't do one without the other. So, so that's, that's, um, I'm, I appreciate the feedback. I'm glad you, you noticed that. Cause that's, so that's, I have to pull it off my banner that no I'm joking. <laughs> you're in the u.s just right yeah just right u.s yeah don't worry built to thrive in u.s my trademark stops at the border so don't worry <laughs> um yeah but uh yeah i mean that's that's uh again how back to the branding and how do we how do we kind of differentiate ourselves compared to other builders um that's that's worked really well so looking in a crystal ball where do you think that's going to go I mean, technology and all that stuff's obviously going to creep into our homes, but the wellness part—how far do you see that going? I think it's—I think it's going to be—I think it's going to be huge. I think um, the homes are going to be more automated. I think you're going to start to see biosensors in the home, like right now. You know how how we are, are um, you know how we introduce fresh air is really passive, right, through our HRV or ERV. The the I think we're right around the corner from having sensors that will actually measure indoor air quality. And when it drops below a threshold, it's going to kick on and bring in the fresh air and, and exhale the stale air. I think, you know, we're going to look at um, a lot of um, opportunities around growing our own food in the kitchens. I think you're going to start to see some of that with the kitchen uh, designers and, and manufacturers. Um, this, this is kind of gross, but they're actually developing toilets that can, that can measure, um, biomarkers in, in your, you know, in your, you know, piss and poop, <laughs> poop. um, that, that will actually then, you know, tell you what your, um, you know, if, if, if you're, if you're, um, whatever iron is too high or those types of things. So I think, I think this is coming, uh, for sure. I think it's going to integrate really, um, significantly into, into our homes, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. I think, uh, we started installing the EcoBee thermostat because it has that kind of, um, air quality sensor and it will talk to the HRV. So we yeah. started doing that just cause we were doing the nests. And then it, it was cool. I love it. And I love the like learning part of it. The problem is it, it's almost too smart and, and it's not. I love Ecobee takes the sensor on, of the outside as well. So if it's 60 today in your, your habitat and your habit has been, you know, turning the thermostat to this, it will then go, it's already 70 outside. Like, I don't need to do that. Where the Ecobee will still go by, sorry, the Nest will still go by your habit of turning this up. And I did Ecobee way back in the day. And then I jumped on the wagon for for Nest, and now I've gone back because it's Ecobee was the first smart thermostat out there, yeah. and they uh, I forgot about them until uh, Tithui turned me back yeah. onto it at one of Nick's talks, and it was um, it was great. Yeah, we just installed one of the IQ Air, um, yeah, Merv, mm -hmm. yeah, Merv sixteen filters. That that that's that's a big topic. Talk about kind of COVID related 
um, you know, being able to filter the air down to a, a hospital grade level with, with the, and they have a, they have an indoor air monitoring system as well. That, that sort of is a, like a last one I saw was kind of the size of an, of an iPhone, um, that, that kicks on, you know, it'll measure and, and has some of, takes it much more from, from a passive to an active, uh, approach, which I think is a uh, cool. I feel like that could be bundled into one of those, um, God, I'm, I'm actually looking up the app. The um, Savant could probably yeah. still control that as well. So you're into you're under one bubble because I know that it's amazing how lazy we are. That like I remember a couple of years ago, I'd be like, "You're fine. You go to, like the Nest app. You go to this app for the for Sonos." And and now people are like, "I I want one app." Yeah, right. And I was like, "It's still on your phone. Like your remote's on your phone." But people still yeah, it went like, from not wanting to get off the couch and doing it with your phone to I don't know I don't want to open more than one app, which is crazy, isn't that nuts? Yeah, but it's true. I mean, it's I do uh, it. it. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it's like oh, I gotta I gotta go, I gotta change my app to look at my different thermostat. It's so funny, and and that's why I like the I, I love the new Ring. I'm not like a big doorbell guy. We've had I have the Nest in my own house. But the new ring that's recessed in, it looks like a regular doorbell, yeah. is lights out. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's, what are you guys seeing for cameras and stuff like that for technology-wise? Yeah, I mean, that, that's big for sure. Um, or, or if it's, um, you know, if it's a higher level security uh, objective, then um, we've, got a, we've got a couple of smart home guys that, that I'm finding Control 4 is, is a bigger platform here than Savant, um, but I'm sure it's it's just localized. But it's all tied in, all the security cameras um, um, into the Control 4 system. I used to use Control 4 all the time. It was like 90, no, 2002. It was like the thing. Like you even had like the little, the little um, keypads for yeah. sound everywhere. That was the coolest thing. Yeah. Now I just sound old. Yeah, but it's it's crazy, man. I love what you're doing. It's um, I I definitely want to check back in in a year. Just besides just me checking your IG and stalking it, um, you've been an inspiration to what I'm trying to do. So I love it, and I'm, I'm it's even more fun hearing you, you know, digging wow. into like school talk and all that. I'm like, oh no, I'm jazzed. <laughs> We're doing a school tour finally, once COVID's gone. Yeah, I'd love it. It'd be awesome. No, I appreciate that feedback. That means a lot coming from you. So, so I appreciate that. Hey, man, I appreciate you being on. It's like I said, John turned turned me on to you guys, and I've been stocking your stuff ever since. And it's it's cool to see the stuff that you build. And uh, you know, just to repeat myself, it's like the the modern architecture, but the really intentional approach to it from a health and wellness is is huge. And like you said, I agree with you. It's it's far bigger than what we are seeing right now and for you to be on the forefront of it is pretty impressive so yeah no thank you thanks i i I appreciate it once this covid stuff uh calms down we'll have to uh plan a meeting i you don't have to twist my arm to come into uh to boston we'll come up to to you yeah (laughs) (laughs) i've seen i've seen enough around here i want to go elsewhere yeah Come, come here. We'll, uh, we'll say we're coming up and we might just promote it as a, as a builder summit. So plan for 25. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. More the merrier. Awesome. That'd be awesome.
Aaron, thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Thank go you. En- for go enjoy that beer. Yeah, I'm going right now. <laughs> Take care, man, right, dude. Guys. Take care. They, they build some cool stuff. They do, and he's so humbled. And yeah, I I, I like him a lot. It's uh, I haven't been able to. I almost intentionally didn't have a conversation with him offline because I wanted to be yeah here. If you guys want to find it, uh, hummingbirdhillhomes.com. He's got a pretty badass website too. His branding's on point. He's done a he's done a really good job. I'm looking for that little tri- trademark symbol beside Built to Thrive. Oh, it is there. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. It's clean though, right? Really clean. Everything. Like when he does his stories where he's like filming from his truck. Yeah. And it's just one windscreen after another. And it's like designed by all clean. And I'm yeah. like, so we're on this call and I'm like, why am I not doing that on Nine Law? Like I should be doing the designer. And yeah. so now like I have the, I have, I bought a bunch of Facebook live, Facebook marketplace. I bought a bunch of construction fence. Mm-hmm. It was like 30 bucks a, a panel and maybe less. It's 300 bucks for, yeah, it was 30 bucks a panel. And uh, I got them all and I'm like, all right. So I ordered the windscreens, but now I'm like, well, I thought of gates for some reason. Cause I like also like the Fox group. They do their foxes on the gates. Mm-hmm. So it's like an inspiration of all of them. But I love that he does the design as an architect's. Yeah. I'd even do one panel that's all the trades instead Dude, of putting in, up there. In Austin, when I went down there and on Lake Austin, every one of the projects that is being built on the lake, the entire lakeside is all windscreen. Oh, and it? it's it's everyone. It's the builder, the architect, the kitchen cabinet company, the electrician, the plumber, the painter, like everyone and it's two hundred feet long. That's crazy. And it's not even just one like not even just one builder. It's all it's every job I, I saw. I was like, that's crazy that's but cool. it's like you're, you're cruising by in your wake boat and it's like oh yeah look at that this is my you know i'm painting that house look at this is my logo <laughs> that is cool i like i mean i guess i mean people would would buy into it i would love to do the trades because i mean i keep their signs up and try and keep them organized yeah and i usually take heat on it on social because they're like if they want to advertise it should be word of mouth or whatever and i'm like dude i'm happy i just want it cleaned you know i usually staple it on to right. the windscreen itself but yeah as long as it looks organized, I'm happy to promote people. Totally. I didn't, oh, you know what? I didn't even look to see if we had any new reviews this week. Let me see if we have any. Uh, survey monkey. 111 surveys. Nice. We got one. Will, 19 years old, saying it's the best podcast, five stars. He started his own company for side work while working for a big commercial construction company. And y'all's podcast has inspired me in a lot of ways, keeping me plug, plugging along even when the days get tough. I hope to become a builder one day, and I listen to this podcast because of how much free information you guys give out. I hate sweeping at work, but this gets me through it. <laughs> I hope to hear a podcast from you about starting your own company and maybe a few episodes with Spencer Lewis ASAP. <laughs> I just read a, a uh, comment on that. Oh, a few survey. more episodes. Yeah, they said... Um, God, where is it? Spencer Lewis more than once a year. Man, they, he, they, they Spencer said might need, need to be our number four. All right. And then Carpenter won again. Um, someone said me. I'm a framing contractor and a millennial. Uh, William Douglas. Um, he's on YouTube in Phoenix. Nick Offerman. I've already tried to reach out to his people. I haven't gotten anything. I We do have contact with Jimmy DeResta. I'm trying to lock that one up. 
Table maker, round two. Um, South Coast dad, Matthew Cunningham. He's a local uh, landscape architect. I should reach out to him. Yep. Your boy, Steve Teak. Is it Steven Teak? Yeah. Is that wrong? Steve, yeah. Um, I think dude. he's, I, I feel like he might be signed up. Um, yeah, and this is a great spot. So if anybody wants to leave construction criticism, um, which is great, but also there's a spot there to give your um, list of guests that you want to have us reach out to, which I have been doing, and it, you'll see them come in, you know, periodically throughout the, uh, the podcast. Well, and next week we got all the way from Melbourne, Australia, Nook Construction, Jack. So it's another good company. I like their branding. He wants like to talk about do. the tender process. Not again, man. That's Maybe like, we're the ones that don't do it. Maybe I, I, I feel like I feel like once we talk about one thing, it it you know like panelization. All right, well for the next four episodes we're gonna talk about panelization. Who would have thought that though? That it's it's leaching into more and more episodes without I being know. coaxed out, which is kind of funny. So next week we got Jack from Nook Construction. If you guys aren't following him, check him out on Instagram nookconstruction.com. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Duration Molding and Millwork. In a world of ever-increasing lead times and escalating pricing, how about a product that gives you neither? That's right. Even completely custom molding profiles are produced in just two weeks from Duration. And as other molding and siding product line prices continue to march upward, Duration's remains the same. Get exactly what you want quickly, efficiently, and cost-effectively. And to learn more about Duration Poly Ash products, please visit their website at durationmillwork.com. And be sure to check them out on Instagram.